This episode of the Just Thinking Podcast is sponsored by 316 Publishing and the Legacy Standard Bible. The LSB is a faithful update of the NASB 95. It's done by Master's Seminary and University Professors in partnership with the Lockman Foundation and the John MacArthur Trust. The Legacy Standard Bible uses God's covenant name of Yahweh in the Old Testament and consistently translates the Greek word doulos, as slave in the New Testament. To learn more about the literal beauty of the LSB, we encourage you to go to lsbible.org. That's L-S-B-I-B-L-E dot O-R-G. Also, this month, you can save $10 off of any $100 purchase at 316publishing.com when you use the code OMAHA. Listen, I love the LSB. I've been using it for a while now. This is a translation. I'm I'm, I'm leaning toward changing. I'm just telling you, the LSB is the way to go. Check it out when you can. Don't forget, go to 316publishing.com and use the code Omaha and save $10 on any $100 purchase. Go today. It's another edition of the Just Thinking Podcast. I am Virgil Walker. And I am Daryl Harrison. What's going on? Oh, my. Ah, it's early where you are, isn't it? What's going on, Pastor? It's it's early. I can I can hear it in your voice, man. You're like, well, yeah, man, I don't know you, if I'm gonna make that high you, note. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of you kind of paused on the high note, man. I did, man, because I heard I heard a little uh, I heard a little itch little, and scratch coming on right there. So I had, to, <laughs> I had to tilt my head to the left a little bit. <laughs> Dude, doing that, do, trying try to get that get that one yay where you got to tilt your head up to, in order to hit the note. That boys to men Wanye action. Yeah, yeah man. That was boys to men. <laughs> that's right, that's that's right bro. I that's had to good. tilt it. I had to tilt it about five degrees to the left. I get it. I get <laughs> yeah. it. So. I get hey, my, listen, I take my hat off to you. You see I don't try to do any of that stuff, right? You see I don't even I, 
I don't even attempt it. I know I can't even man, pull it off. So let me let me tell you, man. If I didn't do that intro at every episode, bro, I think I would get stoned by our listeners, man. <laughs> they really, they really look forward to this, man. At the top of every episode, so I, I kind of do it as, as sort of an homage to them. Yes, uh, yes. Although yes, it's kind of yes. cool, it's come come. It's become a bit of a a trademark for the show, kind of like the Hammond B three has. It's kind of become a trademark. Uh, you know, sort of uh, 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 sort of aesthetic for the show. So if I don't sure. do that, if no, I no, don't you, do you, that, some folks going to be mad. Yeah, it would be problematic. It, it, with, with all the research that we do and all the background that we do. and all, <laughs> It'll come down to that. It's, it, it would, yeah, it, listen, listen, it, it, would, it, would not even, it would not even be worth it if you didn't do the intro just right, right? Folks yeah. would panic. Baby folks would, like, would panic because this, the intro, right? Be like, this, ain't, this ain't the Just Thinking Podcast. Where's the <laughs> I'm at, hey. I'm at, bro. I'm at Ligonier a few weeks ago, and people are like, "Where's Oma? He <laughs> right, 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 right." Listen, listen. What, what about that funky intro, man? That we just hit, dog. Man, come on, man. I, I just finished doing the running man to that, bro. I was up doing the run. <laughs> I was up doing the running man, bro. That's probably why I couldn't hit that note. That's it. <laughs> Oh man, I love it. But man, it's good to be back, back in the saddle, back in front of these mics, man, doing what we do and uh, giving everybody a little, little piece of our mind, so to speak. Yeah, man, just a little piece, you know, on a little lightweight topic. <laughs> you know what I'm right, saying? Right. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Because you know, we absolutely. don't, we don't, we don't like to go deep on the Just Thinking podcast. No, we no, like no, keep, no, We like no. to keep it lightweight, no. man. Right? No, we, t- we keep, we keep it, we keep it light, man. We keep it light. Absolutely. It's good no, to be back with you, bro. It's great to it's great to be back, man. It's a it's a joy to be with you. It's a joy to get on these mics and give the people what they're what they're longing for. It's been a minute, man. I know we've got a lot of things to cover uh, as far as where we've been and what we've been doing, man. I'm gonna turn things over to you, man. You you got a couple of announcements you want to drop off. Yeah, right? I do, man. Got a couple of announcements right here at the top. And before we dive into the topic, I just want to mention that this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast, episode 122, is dedicated to 13-year-old Rashad, 13-year-old Rashad in Tallahassee, Florida. Um, I met Rashad, I didn't meet him, but I heard about him by way of his tutor, who I met a few weeks ago at the Ligonier National Conference in Orlando. And what his tutor shared with me about Rashad, uh, his tutor is a listener to the podcast, big fan of the podcast. And she, uh, as she has opportunity to do so, she listens along with Rashad uh, to our episodes, but there were some things that she shared with me about Rashad that really struck a chord with me when I heard about it. So, as an encouragement to you, Rashad, um, I mentioned to his tutor. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna name her, but I mentioned to his tutor that I would gladly dedicate this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast to 13 year old Rashad in Tallahassee, Florida. And Rashad, uh, may the Lord bless you to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's Second Peter three eighteen. Mm. And may this episode on spiritual warfare help you toward that end, young man. Although I haven't met you, uh, perhaps I will get an opportunity in the future. But this episode, 122, is dedicated to 13-year-old Rashad in Tallahassee, Florida. God bless you, Rashad. And uh, second uh, announcement for me, V, is on behalf of a ministry called Cultivate Global. Cultivate mm-hmm. Global. Cultivate Global is led by a young brother in Christ by the name of Corey Grease. That last mm. name is spelled G-R-I-E-S-S, C-O-R-Y-G-R-I-E-S-S, Corey Grease. 
Now, you and I met Corey Omaha at a young adults conference that we spoke at in Lincoln, Nebraska, at Heritage Bible Church yes, a few yes. months ago. Yeah. And according to Corey, uh, Cultivate Global is a registered nonprofit focused on reaching the unreached people of Tanzania with the gospel by means of developing self-sustainable agriculture and educative education, rather, the native way. This model allows Cultivate Global to build relationships. It gives them more time to give gospel exposure and promotes higher local economic success along the way. Currently, Cultivate Global's biggest needs are through prayer and financial support. So check out Cultivate Global and give prayerfully at their website at cultivateglobal.net. That's cultivateglobal.net. Matter of fact, uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Omaha, Corey just graduated high school recently. So this young brother is on it. So he's already launched his own ministry to get the gospel out in Tanzania while also, Corey's a farmer, so when he's talking about helping educate the people of Tanzania with sustainable ag- agriculture and education, but in their own native way, I mean, this young man is already gifted. He's he's already got his calling from the Lord, so please check out his website at cultivateglobal.net and con- con- uh, consider uh, supporting uh, Corey's efforts there in Tanzania. That's it that's for me, fantastic. bro. Man, that's fantastic. I was thinking about Heritage, uh, where we were uh, out there in, in, in my part of the world, in Nebraska, man, and Lincoln. Uh, I, I wanted to mention, and you met this dear brother. He's a dear, dear friend of mine, Joshua Stinnett. You yep. remember Joshua? Yep. Yes, you got sir. Chance. That's, that's my dude. I mean, he was really responsible in large part uh, for us us coming out that way, wanted to host us and in, introduced you and I and, and all of that while we were there. He's a dear brother, dear, dear friend of mine. He got engaged recently, man. I don't I don't know if you saw this. I did. Uh, he got it. Yeah, yeah, he got engaged. The young lady that he was, uh, he he was, you know, kind of kind of walking through their 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 courtship with. Her name was Sierra Morris. Uh, you met, you got a chance to meet them both and connect with them briefly. And he called me not long ago. Maybe well, he called me right before he was about to kind of pop the question. And we we kind of caught up on everything and and chatted. And so they were excited, man. He's excited, and uh, he definitely wanted me to pass that along. I'm just gonna sh- give him a quick shout out and congratulate Joshua Stinnett and Sierra Morris man on their engagement man that's exciting for them yeah congratulations man as you mentioned them i'm, re- I'm uh, sort of recalling in my mind when we had lunch with them yep, at yep. A, a local restaurant there in lincoln and man those wings yep. those wings i had yeah 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 Ooh, man, they, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, hey no disrespect to, to your guy who you know just on his engagement hey congratulations but those wings absolutely bro yes i'm telling yes you, fire <laughs> <laughs> that's good stuff. That's good. that's good to hear, especially out in Nebraska, the middle of nowhere. So absolutely good. <clears throat> quick, quick couple of announcements on on my end, really, just to let people know uh, that if they have not already, they need to sign up, register today for the G three conference, the the twenty twenty three. G3 National Conference here in Atlanta, September 21st through the 23rd. Uh, bro, it is going to be off the chain. I mean, just off the chain. You 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 already know how we do it at G3. Uh, it's on the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. We've got, we've got really close to 30 speakers that are going to be a part of this particular conference. Uh, Vody Bauckham, Stephen Lawson, Paul Washer, Phil Johnson, James White, Mike Riccardi, Justin Peters. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Owen Strand, Josh Bice, yours truly, bro, you're going to be there in the yep. mix de- de- delivering, delivering your messages as well. And then 
James Coates will be there. Scott Annual, Scott, like I could spend the next 10 minutes going through all the speakers. It's just fun. There's no other place where you're going to go, where you're going to see this many power packed uh, expositors in one place. Uh, th- there's no other place to go to have the, to have this kind of experience. You need to be here. Don't miss it. It's going to be packed right now, bro. We're, we're at, we're at a record setting pace as far as registrations are concerned. And we're going to blow out last year's number by a ton. Uh, last year, I think there were 6,500 people there. I'm, I'm not going to give a final number, but I will tell you, we will blow that out by a long shot. Uh, that'll be where we are. So this will be one you won't want to miss. The 2023 G3 National Conference. Go to G3min, G3min dot O-R-G, and use our conference code. We have a Just Thinking conference code. Use G3JT. G3, Just Thinking GT. G, I'm sorry, G3. Let me get that right. G, the number three, JT. And you can get 30% off on your discount. So appreciate you all attending that. It's going to be phenomenal. You and I will be there in the mix. Uh, yep, we'll, yep, yep. That's, that, that's just our spot, man. That's, our people are there. That's just our spot. And uh, we'll be holding it down for sure. Well, man, I know you've been grinding uh, with the conference coming up. It's getting here rather quickly, bro. I mean, listen, it's already mid-April. When yeah. this episode drops on April 12th, 2023, and man, so that gives you about not even really a full six months, uh, no. maybe not even a full five months, man, before this no. thing kicks off. Yeah, yeah, five, 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 and some change right now, and uh, it, it's it's an around the clock adventure. Believe me. you know this because you've been you know tr- trying to reach out, and I'm trying to reach back, and we're catching each other at all different times. But uh, it's it's all going to be worth it when we see that just the impact of what this particular conference is going to do. Well, man, here we are, Omaheezy, four months into the into 2023, and it's our first Just Thinking podcast episode of the year, man. Can you believe that? Four I months. Cannot believe it. Cannot believe it. And to say it's been a while since our last episode, our last new episode of the podcast will be a gross understatement, bro. In fact, it's been about four months, as I said earlier, four months since we released our last new episode, which was titled A Biblical Theology of Suffering, which, by the way, and this is a shout out to all of our listeners. Since we released that episode, A Biblical Theology of Suffering, on December 5th, 2022, that episode has amassed more than 90,000 downloads wow. since it was released in December wow. on December 5th, 2022. And, and that number is just incredibly humbling because it's just a testament to God's grace and how he is allowing two sinners like you and me to use this platform yeah. Yeah. to minister to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So we want to thank our listeners for taking the time to listen to that episode probably multiple times. Yeah. And we're just incredibly humbled by how that episode has ministered to you all. Yeah. But that said, that four-month <clears throat> break, which wasn't actually a break, right, V? <laughs> that four-month break was was all for a good reason, of course, because in addition to the responsibilities you and I are accountable for for our respective day jobs, right, at Grace to You and G3 Ministries, respectfully, you and I, Omaha, are often invited to speak at various evangelical churches and conferences around the country, sometimes together sometimes separately, and depending on where those commitments fall on the calendar, it can result in our taking extended time away from the Just Thinking Podcast microphones. But as you always say, and as you said at the opening of this episode, Omaha, we are back. All right? Absolutely. Absolutely. With that said, bro, is there anything you want to say to our loyal and extremely patient (laughs) Just Thinking Podcast audience as we kick off this episode, man? 
Now it's it's I just appreciate their faithfulness. You said ninety thousand downloads. Now that doesn't even include streams and listens because right. most people don't right. down don't download an episode. Right. Most of the folks just stream it on whatever platform they're listening on, and so it's been listened to probably many more times than that. But to but to see that folks appreciate the content to the degree that they're willing to download it, save it, re-listen to it, uh, it it's it's really I mean that that's incredibly incredibly humbling, and and it is absolutely good to be back. We're we're incredibly grateful for the faithfulness of the Just Thinking family, the JT family. I mean, they just, they're patient. Uh, when they when we do come out with something, they're, they're diligent, not only about listening to it, but about sharing it with everyone mm-hmm. that they encounter. And that's an absolute blessing. There are a number of things we're working on. In addition to what you mentioned, uh, we, we've been working on an audio book, right? For the right. Just Thinking, yep. for, for the book, for the book, Just Thinking About the State. That got, that project got wrapped up, turned in. And so that'll be something that'll be available again for for the folks there I know there are a number of folks who grabbed our first book just thinking about the state and now there there'll be an audio book attached to it and this will be uh, completed right before and you and I've been working on the editing of the new book the yep. just thinking about ethnicity yep. uh, which which we're hopeful will be out uh, sometime early September well it better be out early September <laughs> we got <laughs> oh you hear that publisher you hear yeah, that publisher yeah. <laughs> So we've got we've got just thinking about the state in audio form, and I'm excited that that's going in audio form. And here's the reason why: you and I both know that that book is an evergreen book yes. because of the fact that that it deals with how we should think biblically, having a biblical worldview about all things related to politics and government. And and the and the biblical worldview doesn't change. Unlike the issues of the day that fluctuate, ebb and flow, what the Bible has to say about life, about issues uh, related to government and governance, are, they, they stay and remain the same. And, and it's when we get off of that biblical framework that we find ourselves in trouble. So I'm going to commend our book, Just Thinking About the State. And then when the audio book drops, we'll have to get a, a final date on that. Uh, we'll be promoting that as well. So if you haven't ha- had the book or if you had had the book and you wanted to listen to it uh, as well, well, I would encourage you to do that. We've got our book, Just Thinking About Ethnicity, that will drop. You and I just last week had a conversation with the uh, the scholarship winners yep. uh, at the Masters University, mm-hmm. right? We 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 continue to meet with them on a on a monthly basis. We mm-hmm. try to make that monthly, and uh, had a fantastic conversation mm-hmm. about the issues of of, of, of transgenderism, the religion, I should say, yes. of transgenderism, and we talked that through with them. We've just all the speaking up there. There's a lot. I, I, I say this so that our listeners can understand there is a lot going on with just thinking and uh, we're grateful none of that would even be possible were it not for the you know God's providence but but uh, to, to be sure but also the faithful listeners who listen have promoted just thinking have have advanced uh, our, our platform and shared our, our our you know our podcast with others we're mm-hmm. incredibly incredibly grateful and we've got we got a lot more in store I mean I could take an, an, an even more time to explain what's coming but but uh, need Needless to say, man, we, we're incredibly grateful. Indeed. Well said, Omaha. Thanks for getting our listeners up to date on those aspects of what's happening with the Just Thinking ministry. Now, although it's been four months since we last released a new episode of the Just Thinking podcast, we're hitting the ground running, Omaha, with another very theologically weighty topic, one which, as with all of our episodes, we hope and pray by God's grace and mercy will be edifying to his body, which is to say to his church, 
which as a reminder is our primary target audience here on the Just Thinking Podcast. Our primary audience is to believers, is to followers of Jesus Christ. That is our primary target audience, okay? And the topic to which I'm referring to is spiritual warfare. In fact, that's the simple title of this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast, spiritual warfare. Now, as we're accustomed to doing on the Just Thinking Podcast, Omaha, we want to begin our consideration of the topic of spiritual warfare by endeavoring to biblically define some very important terms, okay? As we've often said, it is definition of terms. It is the definition of terms that give context to what it is you're talking about. So it's incredibly important that we begin by defining terms, okay? And to that end, as I just said, it's vitally important for us to first and foremost do our best to establish a biblical framework and foundation of what spiritual warfare is and what it entails from an orthodox biblical perspective, meaning from the standpoint of what the scriptures themselves actually say about it. Okay. Now I say that because spiritual warfare is among a number of biblical doctrines that has been so mistreated, so mistaught and so misunderstood throughout church history but particularly within certain denominational circles as to be treated as superstition in some ways. All right. But in fact, it's with that thought in mind that I concur the thought that this issue of spiritual war warfare has often been treated as all sort of superstitious kind of fodder. It's with that mm. thought in mind that I concur with Dr. Wayne a Detzler distinguished professor emeritus of cross-cultural apologetics and missions at Southern Evangelical Seminary and Bible College, who, in a 1995 white paper written for the journal Reformation and Revival, titled Myths About Spiritual Warfare, said this, quote, There is an idea that spiritual warfare is so much Pentecostal hocus-pocus. It is seen as yet another gimmick designed to dazzle the gullible and mesmerize the simple. A variant on this theme is the idea that spiritual warfare is limited to the apostolic age and thus is irrelevant to our time. In reality, spiritual warfare is part and parcel of the Christian life, and to trivialize it defrauds believers, unquote. Again, that was from Dr. Wayne A. Detzler in a white paper he wrote in 1995 titled, Myths About Spiritual Warfare. Dr. Detzler said that it is part and parcel of the Christian life to understand spiritual warfare and to trivialize that defrauds believers. Now, Dr. Detzler in highlighting is highlighting rather a very important yet unfortunate reality in the evangelical church today, Omaha, and that the very term spiritual warfare, not to mention what that term encompasses and entails, tends to evoke certain mythical interpretations and understandings of what spiritual warfare actually is. For example, and I'm sure you're familiar with this imagery comes to mind of Jesus and Satan sitting down at a card table together, arm wrestling as if they were two equals. I mean, such imagery as imagery as that is just one example of what Dr. Detzler is talking about in terms of gimmicks designed to dazzle the gullible and mesmerize the simple. And speaking of which, the 16th century French reformer John Calvin is very helpful in helping us refute such erroneous perceptions when he says that many believers, quote, suppose the devil to be an antagonistic deity 
whom the righteous God would not subdue without great exertion. Though our enemy is so powerful, he is not so powerful that we must throw away our spears, but that we must prepare our minds for the battle. Believers are thus directed to cherish confidence through the whole course of life, that there will be no danger which may not be successfully met by the power of God, nor will any who, with God's assistance, fight against Satan, fail in the day of battle. Unquote. That was John Calvin on that. Now, as I reflect on those words from Calvin Omaha, I'm reminded of the classic hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, which was written by another reformer, in fact, the reformer, Martin Luther, in 1529, where, where we find these encouraging words from Luther. And though this world, with devils filled, should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of, of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. I just want to insert that because as I reflect back on Calvin's words, especially uh, towards the end of that quote that I mentioned earlier, where he says that uh, every believer can have confidence that when we meet spiritual warfare in the power of God, that we will not fail in the day of battle. We will not fail. So those are powerful words from both Luther and Calvin Omaha. But nevertheless, there exists in the church today a gross misunderstanding about what spiritual warfare is, particularly when viewed from the standpoint of what Scripture actually teaches about it. Much of what many professing believers believe about spiritual warfare is comprised of erroneous tradition and folklore that has been handed down to them from one ecclesiastical generation to the next. And it's with that unfortunate reality in mind that our goal in this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast is in part to come alongside our listeners with the goal of recapturing a truly biblically, biblically orthodox understanding of what spiritual warfare is and isn't, okay? So that we, as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4.14, are not tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Now, I cite those words from the Apostle Paul about not being tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, in light of what Reverend Stanley D. Gale said in an article he wrote for the February 2022 issue of Table Talk magazine titled, What Does Paul Say About Spiritual Warfare? In which Dr. Gale said this, quote, As those who are alive in Christ and freed from sin's bondage, bondage we are to walk in a manner worthy of the name of Christ, as Ephesians 4.1. We are to no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Those still in Satan's grip, that's Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 19. Though we are no longer of the world, we do remain in it, on guard, at work. The church has the job of training us in sound doctrine, that's Ephesians 4, 12 through 16. The church has the job of training us in sound doctrine to defend us against our spiritual foe and to equip us to advance against the kingdom of darkness as Christ builds his church through us as his instruments, unquote. That was Reverend Stanley D. Gale, Gale rather, from the February 2022 20, issue of Table Talk magazine titled, 
What does Paul say about spiritual warfare? Now, I believe Omaha Dr. Gale's words to be a very succinct biblical summation of why you and I thought it necessary and important to dedicate an episode of the Just Thinking Podcast to this topic of spiritual warfare because, as Dr. Gale said, the church has the job of training us in sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is the goal. Thoughts, Omaha? Yeah, man, I love all of what you just covered as it relates to uh, sound doctrine. We we need so much more of that, and and I, I completely agree. As you know, or at least those of us who uh, those who have listened to the Just Thinking podcast uh, know and can or can remember that you and I both come from. Uh, Pentecostal backgrounds. Yes. Uh, we mentioned that in, in a number of different episodes. <clears throat> Those denominations that that teach, uh, and, and I'll, I'll speak primarily for me, and I know you could chime in when you can. Uh, I came from a denomination that, that really taught the idea that there was a devil behind every corner. Did you come from that yes. kind of, kind oh, of situation? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, bro. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, we... Yeah, we we had we had the demon of overeating that made you eat too much, right? You had the demon of of lateness that constantly forced people to be late. You had the demon of alcohol that made some people drink too much. You had the demon of the spirit of Jezebel. This is this was for women who who maybe wore too much makeup. Uh, you, you had the demon of speeding uh, for people who drive too fast. The demon of policing that caused that that person driving fast to get a ticket. So there, there was a demon behind every corner, right? This is kind of what you talked about earlier about the over spiritualizing of the issue of spiritual warfare, uh, where we end up believing that every every facet of life has some spirit attached to it, some demonic spirit attached to it, by which we're able to 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 alleviate our own our own persons, our own selves from any sort of accountability. So w- w- the the idea there is that whatever whatever you can't control in your own life uh, had to be an issue of a spirit or demon attached to mm-hmm. it that that really was responsible for the action. Uh, mm-hmm. It reminds me from uh, of, of the days of the church lady. You you might remember the church lady from the Saturday Night Live skit. <laughs> yes, yes. You remember, Dana, remember that Dana, from church Dana, from church Carvey. Yes, yes, yes. She would be interviewing people on her show, uh, former televangelists who didn't want to hold themselves accountable to issues that they had going on. And and she would always her her, her big line, you know, when she would ask, uh, you know, what made you do it? What made you what made you do this bad thing? What made you do it? And, you know, they, they couldn't come up with a, a real response. And, and her punchline was, could it be Satan? You know, that was. <laughs> right. Right. That was the that yeah. was the, the that was the you remember this back in the day? Yes. I know I'm I know I'm dating myself by yes. telling you about this. Yes, yes. <laughs> then but, then at, but, the, at the end of the end of the skit church they would do this little shuffle. Yes, kind of got do her, the shuffle. Own, her own version of the Pee Wee Herman. She would do the uh oh. <laughs> Yeah, for the, for those for those who were who were born in in nineteen ninety and forward, they have to they have to go do, do a do a YouTube search and find the church <laughs> yeah. lady, and uh, and see kind of it's called church chat. It was a skit called church chat. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I thought about I thought about that because that it was funny because the reason why the skit was funny was unfortunately, in some circles. That was that was the reality. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, like I said, there was a demon behind every corner. There was something bad that, that was taking place in your life that you had no accountability for. Then then you could blame it on some demon or devil. I think Dr. Dexler's quote summed it up well uh, when he said that there's an idea that the spiritual that spiritual warfare uh, 
is so much Pentecostal hocus pocus. And again, I, I don't say this about every Pentecostal, but, but, but I, I do say this, I, I, and I will own this, I, I do say this about the vast majority of, yes. of Pentecostalism. And, right. and, and not, not only that, but how, how Pentecostalism has permeated every facet of evangelicalism. So this is, this is not something that's beholden any longer to simply one denomination or another. This is, a, this is something that has really crossed the, 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 the denominational terrain, the denominational divide, if you will. And you're seeing people from every walk, from, from Southern Baptist to you know, whatever, you name a conservative circle, there's this idea that, that demons are out everywhere doing things. Whether, whether it's the ideas of men like Todd Bentley, Paula White, Bill Johnson of, of Bethel, you know, Todd White, Mike, Mike Bickle, uh, the list goes on and on. The subject of spiritual warfare has actually become farcical. Mm, it really mm, has. Mm. You, you and I grew up during a day and time when, it, when this ki- these kinds of farcical ideas about spiritual warfare would be, began with a, with a storefront pre- preacher who could claim he had a calling from God, and based upon some personal revelation uh, and, a, and, a, and a handful of parlor tricks, he could start his own church. Uh, we, mm-hmm. we, we watched that. We witnessed that. Now, nowadays, we see it kind of expressing itself in a, in a different way. We've gone from the storefront church to the mega church of our day, and this has become such the norm that events like the one we witnessed at the Asbury Revival those kind of events seem normative as an, as an expression rather than something that we should test against the pages of Scripture. So I, I say all that and lay all that out just by way of saying, one, you and I have a background in this, so we, we, don't, come from, we don't come at this from a, from a standpoint of, of no knowledge or, you know, we, we've, been in, we've been in reformed conservative circles too long and have no idea what we're talking about when we, when we discuss the mysticalism around, mm-hmm. the, the, around the issue of, around the topic of, of spiritual warfare. But I also say this to say that it has become such the norm, it, these, the mystical nature of, of both our practice of worship and then how we view spiritual warfare that when we see revivals like the quote unquote Asbury revival, we, we don't want to look at what scripture says about revival or revivalism mm-hmm. or any, any facet uh, of, of, what, of what a proper biblical kind of ecclesiastical expression or experience should look like. Uh, we we, we want to we close our eyes to that and say, hey, any, anything will do. Any, any way that people want to respond is, is the way to respond. So all that to say, I think this topic is incredibly, incredibly important. Uh, we need to define our terms, which I know, I know we do here uh, on the Just Thinking Podcast. We need to know what is spiritual warfare and, and what, what, do, what is the believer to do in his life as a result of that knowledge. So I'm glad we're, I'm glad we're taking a stab at this. Yeah, so a couple of things, Virgil, I want to just integrate uh, and follow up to what you just shared. Number one, when you mentioned how you mentioned the phrase storefront churches, and how, and I was thinking about how those storefront churches back in the day, um, they gave way to, to house churches. So I, I, yes. I grew up in a literal house that was converted for use as a church. So, 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 so back in the day, you had storefront churches, which grew into house churches. But then when you talk about uh, today, how, uh, how we have now the mega church. And I think now we've gone from storefront churches to mall churches is what we've gone. Yeah. What we've <laughs> yeah, gone. We have. Yeah. So, so churches back in the day where you just had the one little storefront, storefront with the one little door, with the two little windows, with the, I don't know, maybe 10 to 20 uh, chairs uh, set out. You have full-fledged mall churches now where you yes. can go through multiple doors 
and multiple signs that will point you to anything you want. It's like going into a, a Walmart where you can just look up to see what aisle the product you want is on. Mm-hmm. And that, that's where the church is uh, now. We've gone from storefronts uh, to malls. And a second thing I want to talk about is the whole idea of revival. You and I have talked about this offline. Yeah. And I just want to say this as an aside. When it comes to revival, this is going back to what uh, what I uh, uh, cited earlier uh, about uh, the, the, the job of the church being to teach sound doctrine. Okay. Uh, when you look at what happened with Asbury, um, I mean, I remember saying this to you, you know, a, a few days after that happened. I mean, social media was getting blitzed yeah. by this. And you had I mean, countless professing Christians just signing off on that event as legitimate mm-hmm. solely mm-hmm. on the basis of the emotionalism and the sentimentalism that was involved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But see, here's the thing I want our listeners to hear about revivals. You don't put a revival on a calendar. <laughs> Okay, you don't schedule a revival. You don't say, okay, we're going to meet here at Asbury on such and such a date at such and such a time and have a revival. Right, right. Revivals aren't initiated by us. That's good. They're not. Yeah. They're initiated by the Holy Spirit alone. Okay, so that's what I mean. You don't put a revival on the calendar. You don't don't schedule a revival. So so as, as you and I sit here, Right now on uh, April 8th, 2023, I'm not going to sit here and say, hey, Verge, let's have a revival at Praise Mill Baptist Church on November 2nd. Right. I mean, we, we have got to learn to be more discerning than what our eyes tell us, what we see with our right. eyes. Okay. Right. But we've got such a, and I love what you said earlier about how this, this sort of Pentecostal Pentecostal limit, Pentecostal limit. That's a word. Yeah. yeah. Pentecostalism. Yeah. The Pentecostalism yeah. Mm-hmm. has is now permeated throughout every facet of evangelicalism, mm-hmm. even within reform circles, believe it or not. Yes. Yes. You see, and this is one motivation for us to do this episode because we're going to flesh this out further in a minute. I felt personally, and I know you agree, uh, V that, uh, it seems to me that and you and I are both reform. We, we both subscribe to the doctrines of grace, the five solas and all that. But it's been our perspective, especially given our uh, ecclesiastical, ecclesiastical upbringing, that within reform circles, the whole concept of spiritual warfare has been totally abdicated and basically abandoned to the charismatics. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. As if it's like Dr. Gill said earlier, it's, 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 it's as if it's some Pentecostal hocus pocus. You know, but uh, as we work our way through the content that we have for our listeners in this episode, I think they're going to find out that that's not the case. Yeah, no, absolutely. Let me add add one more thing, man. Let me take it. Let me take it one more level. Um, And and I know as as I say this, you and I have had these conversations one off online, you know, offline. Uh, This is a unique opportunity where we're going to we're going to pull the listeners into what you and I discuss kind of behind the scenes. Uh, and, and it comes from a, it comes from a heart of having witnessed what we've seen firsthand. We, we don't we don't pull these topics out of a you know, it's, it's not like we we, we ha- have a hat. We kind of tear right. up some sheets of paper. We we throw them in the hat and oh, I think we'll do this one this time. More times than not, these issues are, are, are issues that we deal with personally 
or that friends or family members of ours deal with personally. Uh, and so we have a unique passion about them. This particular topic, as I was beginning to p- put my section uh, of, of, com- of commentary to this, uh, touched me personally because I, I see this kind of uh, backwards view, this, this hyper uh, spiritualized, hyper mystical approach to spiritual warfare, really doing great damage in in primarily mm-hmm. black churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I see this, and, and again, this is not a race issue as much as it is a cultural issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, from from a cultural standpoint, uh, I, I do I do believe that 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 ethnically speaking, uh, there there are a lot of blacks who who are hyper emotional and who enjoy kind of hyper emotionalized worship. Uh, this dates back to to, to the to days of slavery. Uh, mm-hmm. There's books that 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 you and I have read both. Both you and I have. I know that mm-hmm. we've we've read about the black church and yep. the black church experience during the days of slavery and and, and the like. Uh, uh, Henry Louis Gates's book and 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 other other books that that have that have shown us that that our mode of worship has always been quite a bit more emotional than the than than the than the European approach to uh, to biblical uh, orthodoxy. So so let me let me start there, and then simply say that has great things and bad things attached to it. Uh, the, the great thing yeah. about it is 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 a, a deepness uh, in, in in our expressiveness uh, toward the worship of God. The, the the challenging and more damaging thing about it has been uh, our our desire to get back to some particular emotional state, rather than anchoring our emotional expression to the text of Scripture. And mm-hmm. and, and what what we find here is as a result. Things like spiritual warfare or some hyper-emotionalized expression of worship seem to appeal to a category of people who, culturally speaking, have always expressed themselves in a particular way. And, 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 and the, one of the ways, one of the many ways that this does damage is that it, it negates our ability to listen to maybe a, 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 a sound doctrine that's not first emotionalized. A teaching, right? a teaching. And an exposition, an exposition of come a text. On. Right, yeah. C- come on, come on, yep. yeah. It, 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 and so what, I, what I'm finding is people ask the question, why, why, aren't, why are more black folks in, uh, in, in reformed circles? Daryl and Virgil, y'all the only two black, Daryl, Virgil, and uh, Vody Bauckham, y'all the only black people in, in reformed circles. Well, no, that's, first of all, it's not true. But secondarily, one of the reasons why it is it's a challenge to bring people to sound doctrine, sound biblical exegeting, sound biblical exposition has everything to do with we've we've hyper emotionalized mm-hmm. our worship. Mm-hmm. And so we can't hear we can't hear anything else unless you've unless 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 you've come with the with, with the ham and bees and, right. and folks pa- passing out first. Right. Yeah. To grab the attention. We, we can't hear. We can't yeah. hear. So sound, I, can't, sound I, can't, doctrine. I can't hear you till I'm unconscious. <laughs> right. Till I'm knocked, <laughs> till I'm knocked out, prostrate on the floor, then I can hear you. See, I gotta, fe- I gotta feel you before I can hear you. Right, right. And and again, I I, I say all of this. I, I recognize a couple things. What I just said is very. I, it's, 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 it may be an overgeneralization, right? Some hear this. That's not every black church. It's not every black church. Well, that's not all black people. It's not all black people. Hear me say those things. But man, it is. It sure impacts. A large number of us to the point where we we can't we can't come out of those circles and listen to sound biblical doctrine, sound biblical truth, great exposition, because we have a warped view of issues like what we're going to cover 
as it relates to spiritual warfare, uh, as it relates to uh, this this mystical approach. Uh, and by, by mysticism, I, I don't simply mean the, the, the spirit realm, I, I, just a hyper emotionalized expression of worship. Bro, I said way too much, man. I yeah, no, 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 you didn't, bro. No, you didn't. You didn't say too much at all. Matter of fact, I'm glad you went there because what, what I love about what you did there is that you not only broached the topic of a sort of hyper uh, sentimentalist, uh, hyper emotional sense of spiritual warfare or construct of spiritual warfare that many believers have, but also a hyper sentimentalized, a hyper spiritualized, a hyper emotionalized construct of worship. And mm. see that that's what I'm seeing. And I totally concur with you here, bro. I'm seeing this on social media. I'm seeing this in churches whereby we only call it worship if we can feel something. Mm. <laughs> See if I if I if I can filter my church experience, meaning the entire worship or, or the entire order of worship, that order of worship has to make me feel something. If I right. didn't feel anything, then it wasn't worship. Right. This again, this goes back to what we were talking earlier about. Uh, the church's job is to teach sound doctrine. This is why. And listen, I don't mean to hurt any, anyone's feelings about what I'm about to say. But Verge, the, 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 the thing I love about uh, uh, j- just working with you on the Just Thinking podcast is that we don't just read. I mean, we come from personal experience. Like you said, we've lived this. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, we've lived this for most of our lives. We've been reformed for far less time than we've oh, lived yes. in those other spaces, okay? Oh, yes, absolutely. So, so although... And I get what you're saying, although what you said earlier doesn't apply to every black church, doesn't apply right. to every black Christian, I promise you, it applies to most of them. It <laughs> yes. applies to most of them. That is why you don't see more uh, professing Christians who are black in Reformed cir- circles, because Reformed preaching is more expository, which is less emotional, less sentimental. Mm-hmm. It, is, it can be deemed more academic, more technical. Mm-hmm. And from from the spaces and places where you and I come from, mm-hmm. they don't have the patience for that. I'm right. not feeling it. I'm not feeling these hymns y'all are singing. I'm not feeling this. I, I need something that makes me tap my feet and bob my head and make right. me get up and want to move out, out of my pew into the aisle. Like James right. Brown in the blues in that film, The Blues Brothers. <laughs> like you got doing somersaults down the aisle and whatnot. That's what a lot of people are looking for. <laughs> right, right, so right. So they, they don't call it worship. They don't call it uh, warfare unless they can filter that up against their subjective, emotional, sentimentalized experience. Yeah, yeah. You see. Let, let me, let me, yeah, let me add one more thing to that, bro. Because when you, can, when you can identify and find the pastor who's able to provide sound biblical exposition— uh, and 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 has a, a level an element of, of of emotion to it. it. It's it's incredibly powerful. I've often joked, you, me, and and Phil Johnson. Again, I'll give I'll give our listeners a behind the scenes look at something that that we've said. I, I've said, man, I would love to take a video and take uh, take John MacArthur 
and and find a find a, a one of his, one of his outstanding sermons and put some Hammond B three behind it. Like there there's some there's some, there's some there's some spots where where he puts the proper pause on stuff. Where I said I I asked Phil I said Phil I, I'm a, I'm gonna take this this uh this uh you know this this particular sermon and, and throw some Hammond B behind it. I won't say what he told what he said about that because I don't want to give anybody any ideas. But <laughs> <laughs> but, but 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 I've I, you know if 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 we were able to do some things like that you know whether it's a Vody, whether it's a Paul Washer, whether we, there would be a whole nother audience capture as a result, because we have, unfortunately, unfortunately, there's a Pavlovian response that's, that a lot bro. of us black folks have <laughs> bro. to hearing a Hammond B3. It, 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 it's oh it's Pavlovian. It, 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 I mean, it just is. It really is. It, 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 we, 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 we were talking about the, the, the topic of, uh, of some things that are going on in Tennessee right now. Right. And, 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 and there was a guy who got up, Justin Pearson, who got up and did and, and tried to sound like, like MLK. There's a, unfortunately, there's a Pavlovian response that we have. You know, you, you all have heard that pa- Pavlov's dog, when yep. he hears mm-hmm. the bell, he, he salivates. There, there's that kind of response that we have to a certain oratory style uh, that 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 we that, that we give validity to that we give uh, a, you know a, a credibility to uh, whether or not truth is being spoken and so when when you have someone like a like a Paul Washer like a John MacArthur like a Vody Bakum like a Josh so Bice like a Josh Bice, right? That who's so biblically sound, uh, I I I throw a Hammond B three behind it if it gets you to listen because I know what you're going to hear is going to be Bible. Yeah, but so see, anyway, I, I go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. And, man, we haven't even we haven't even gotten to page two. Of my- <laughs> <laughs> but bro, we've been gone four months, man. So hey, yeah, yeah, they're going to get they're going to get a little they're going to get they're going to get it all. <laughs> and yeah. this one. But see, here, here's the thing. You, 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 you mentioned that, uh, uh, and let me just clarify here. We know that in uh, this is see what we're what we're sort of uh, digressing onto right now, which we had your boy Scott and y'all on on here with us. But what we're what we're talking about, we know that legitimate heartfelt worship involves emotion. It involves Absolutely. sentiments. What we're criticizing is the emotionalism. Yes. Sentimentalism, okay, hyper spiritual, hyper spiritualizing, whereby you legitimize from your subjective first person experience what God is doing or isn't doing. That's what that's what we're criticizing. Mm-hmm. So the more you feel it, the more legitimacy you give that it's from God. You see, and that's the wrong approach to take. I would love to see, matter of fact, in the hoods where I grew up in inner city Atlanta, I would love to see more reformed churches there mm-hmm. where more black Christians who uh, the vast majority of whom grow up with an Arminian soteriology, uh, who've never heard uh, the term doctrines of grace, let alone know what those are, who've never heard of what the five solas of the reformation are. I would love to see more of uh, more reformed churches planted in urban areas that would draw black Christians from the era of those teachings. But even, th- even if there were more reformed churches in those areas, you know, what would be the holdup? What would be the partition that would keep them from even considering visiting, let alone joining those churches is well, nope. You guys sing the wrong kind of music. Yep. 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 Your, your pastor is boring. 
Yep. You know, expository teaching. What's that? That doesn't move me. You see. So, uh, but what we're talking about here is getting back to sound doctrine. I don't really care how you feel. It doesn't matter how you feel. What matters is what is true. What is the truth? Okay. And that's what we're trying to talk about. We're trying to sort of exposit this topic of spiritual warfare within the framework of what does the Bible say? I don't care what you were taught. I don't care what you feel or don't feel. What does the Bible say? And there are any number of scripture verses, Omaha, that attest to the reality of spiritual warfare in the life of every Christian. Okay. But there are two New Testament verses specifically, which in my opinion, give us a sound biblical outline for our discussion of this very important topic. And that outline consists of the following two elements. Okay. Number one, spiritual warfare defined. Okay. Spiritual warfare defined. And to define spiritual warfare, I'm going to plant my flag in Ephesians chapter six, verse 12, spiritual warfare defined. And then part two of that outline is spiritual warfare engaged, spiritual warfare engaged. So we have spiritual warfare defined in Ephesians 6, 12, then spiritual warfare engaged. And for that, my text is going to be 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 and 4. Okay, 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 and 4. In other words, what is spiritual warfare? And conversely, how is that warfare to be fought? What is spiritual warfare and how is that warfare to be fought? Now, let's go first into spiritual warfare defined. All right. The first of the two New Testament verses I want us to consider has to do with defining what spiritual warfare is. It's a verse that many of us are very familiar with Omaha. In fact, perhaps too familiar. As in my opinion, we've not taken the time as believers to day, who, who daily are uh, uh, engaged in spiritual warfare to study truly what that verse actually teaches. That verse being Ephesians six twelve, where the apostle Paul declares for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's Ephesians six twelve, as written in the non-Armenian standard Bible translation. <laughs> now we're also going to, we're going to do some exposition of that text on Omaha as our discussion progresses, but at the outset and in accordance with point number one of the aforementioned outline, spiritual warfare defined, I believe we can take those words of the apostle Paul in Ephesians six twelve and form a solidly biblical definition of what spiritual warfare fundamentally is and entails. Spiritual warfare, then, in light of Ephesians 6.12, can be biblically defined as the Christian's struggle against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. That That's is good. the That's biblical good. definition of spiritual warfare that I will be employing on this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast. That spiritual warfare is the believer's struggle against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. That's mm -hmm. the definition I'm going to be working from. Ephesians 6, 12. And within that definition of spiritual warfare, which again is taken directly from the words of the apostle Paul in Ephesians 6, 12, we have at least the following three truths to seriously consider. Okay. Number one, 
Spiritual warfare is a reality for every true believer in Jesus Christ. Paul said in Ephesians 6:12, our struggle. That's a plural. Spiritual warfare is a reality for every true believer in Jesus Christ. Truth number two, though it involves the flesh, it is a warfare that is spiritual in both its nature and origin. It is not earthly or carnal. Consequently, spiritual warfare must be engaged using spiritual weaponry. All right, let me repeat that. Truth number two, though spiritual warfare does involve the flesh, it is a warfare that is spiritual in both its nature and origin, not earthly or carnal. Consequently, it must be engaged using spiritual weaponry. And then truth number three, for the believer in Christ to not engage in spiritual warfare, that is, to not engage in what Paul said is the struggle against the spiritual forces of wickedness is sin. That's Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. Now, I want our listeners to consider those three points against these words from the great Welsh preacher and theologian D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who I believe captures the significance of those three realities in a sermon he gave titled The Call to Battle, in which he said this, quote, We have to realize that we are called in the Christian life to a battle, not to a life of ease, to a battle, to a warfare, to a wrestle, to a struggle. The gospel is always realistic. It never hides any of the truth. It never gives a false impression. It is not a true gospel that gives us the impression that the Christian life is easy and that there are no problems to be faced. That is not the New Testament teaching, unquote. That was D. Martin Lloyd-Jones from his sermon titled The Call to Battle. Now, conversely, I'd like our listeners to thoughtfully, thoughtfully consider those words from D. Martin Lloyd-Jones in light of the following words from the 19th century Presbyterian theologian, Robert Murray McShane, who, by the way, died of typhus at only 29 years of age, who in a sermon titled The Christian's Warfare, which is taken from Romans chapter 7, verses 22 through 25, said this, quote, There are two great combatants in the believer's soul. There's Satan on the one side with the flesh and all its lusts at his command, then on the other side, there is the Holy Spirit with all the new creature at his command. And so, quote, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these two are contrary the one to the other so that you may not do the things that you please. That's Galatians 5.17. Have you experienced this warfare? It is a clear mark of God's children. Most of you, I fear, have never felt it. Do not mistake me. All of you have felt a warfare at times between your natural conscience and the law of God. But that is not the contest in the believer's bosom. It is a warfare between the spirit of God in the heart and the old man with his deeds. Unquote. That was Robert Murray McShane from his sermon titled The Christian's Warfare. Now, those are very sobering words from Robert Murray McShane. But what I especially appreciate about what he said there, Omaha, is that his words help us 
to narrow down this issue of spiritual warfare to a very specific lane. And it's a lane which we as believers would be wise to adopt, namely that lane that spiritual warfare is a warfare between the spirit of God in the heart and our old man or our old self, which the apostle Paul speaks of in Ephesians four verses 22 through 24. And I'll just go ahead and read that passage. This is Ephesians four, 22 through 24. Paul says that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. That's Ephesians four verses 22 through 24. So the spiritual warfare, which is to say the struggle against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places is a warfare, a battle, a struggle that takes place within the heart of the believer in Christ between the spirit of God and our old flesh. Now we sometimes get so caught up and enamored with the spiritual forces part of Ephesians six twelve that we're easily led astray into erroneous and false teachings and interpretations about what spiritual warfare actually is biblically. And in saying that I'm alluding to what I quoted earlier from Dr. Wayne Detzler, who described such error and false teaching as Pentecostal hocus pocus. And by the way, Dr. Detzler's words are not a personal insult or attack against believers who may identify as Pentecostal or charismatic. His point is only to emphasize that as followers of Christ who live in a world that lie that lies under the power of the devil, we know that from 1 John 5, 19, that we're not to be gullible or naive about such doctrinal matters as spiritual warfare, but in other words, as the Apostle Paul exhorts us in 1 Corinthians 14, 20, we are not to be children in our thinking, yet in evil we are to be infants, but in our thinking we are to be mature. We're to be mature not gullible or naive. That's what every professing believer Omaha should aspire to. We should aspire to be mature in our thinking with regard to what the Bible teaches. Again, sound doctrine. And that includes what the Bible teaches about the role of the devil and his demonic forces in spiritual warfare, which, as I've said before, has been incredibly distorted and abused, particularly within certain evangelical denominations over the annals of church history. And on that note, I want to bring to the attention of our listeners what I believe to be one of the most theologically profound statements on this topic of spiritual warfare that you'll ever hear. It's from the 18th century Dutch Reformed theologian Wilhelmus Abrakel, who in his classic book titled The Christian's Reasonable Service, says this. Please listen carefully. Abrakel says this, quote, The Lord Jesus has destroyed the devil by his death. That is, He has removed from him all power he had over his people. By making satisfaction for their sins by his death, he has delivered them out of the hands of the tyrant to whom they had become subject through sin, so that he has no dominion over them whatsoever, nor ever will have. However, in his wisdom, that is in God's wisdom and goodness, God has granted Satan some limited power to assault the army of Christ as an enemy. 
so that his children may be exercised in battle and may achieve victory over him while thus engaged, to their glory and his shame. Since it is thus a fact that you have joined an army at war, it behooves you to fight valiantly. Did you hear that, listeners? It behooves you to fight valiantly because you've joined an army at war. Okay, Abraco continues. For all who are in this army oppose this enemy, doing so under the supervision of our general and the holy angels. Therefore, Abraco says, be willing and valiant, unquote. I love that. That was Wilhelmus Abrakel from his book, The Christian's Reasonable Service. Abrakel says that all who are in this army, that is all believers, are obligated to oppose this enemy. And as, as I read that, Omaha, I'm thinking to myself, as uh, uh, how, however many professing believers are, li- believers are listening to us right now, I want to ask everyone, are you, are you opposing this enemy? Are you even putting up a fight? against the devil? Are you trying to oppose them at all? You see, in that one statement by Wilhelmus Abrakel, you have a solid, comprehensive doctrine of spiritual warfare as he reminds us that Christ, by his life, death, and resurrection, destroyed the devil and consequently has removed from him all power that he may have had over God's people. Now, I say that, Omaha, because I think it bears repeating that historically within the evangelical church, it has been especially within Pentecostal and charismatic denominations that the doctrine of spiritual warfare has been most egregiously abused, particularly when it comes to the idea that believers in Christ can somehow be possessed by Satan and his demonic forces. We hear that all the time. You see, but scripture provides two verses among many others that theologically debunk that fallacious idea that children of generally repentant, redeemed, regenerate children of God can be somehow possessed by Satan and his demonic forces. And those two verses are these. The first is 1 John 5.18, where the Apostle John declares this. He says, we know, that is, we understand that no one who is born of God sins, that is, practices sin, but he who is born of God keeps him. And the evil one does not touch him. That's 1 John 5.18. Now those words in 1 John 5.18 should immediately recall to our minds the words of Jesus in John 17.15 in what is commonly referred to as Jesus' high priestly prayer where Jesus says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Now, the phrase does not touch him in 1 John 5.18 is the Greek verb hapto, that's H-A-P-T-O, which translated means to cling to, to lay hold of, to fasten oneself to in a hostile manner, okay? Conversely, the word keep in John 17.15 is the Greek verb tereo, tereo, that's T-E-R-E-O, which translated means to watch over, to guard, to preserve, to observe, to give heed to with the aim of protecting. 
So when taken together, those two verses, 1 John 5, 18 and John 17, 15, should put to rest any conceivable notion that God's people, whom God himself keeps, watches over and protects so that Satan does not touch them or lay hold of them could ever be possessed by Satan or any of his demonic forces. I mean, it's an absurd idea to think about, but that's what happens when subjective theological and denominational pedagogical traditions replace the role of orthodox biblical hermeneutics. You get this idea that God's people can be possessed. You see, the reason Satan does not touch true believers in Christ is because he cannot touch them. Now, I wonder, Omaha, given your somewhat eclectic ecclesiastical background, if you'd be willing to expound further on the role that charismaticism and Pentecostalism have played in distorting and misrepresenting the orthodox biblical view of spiritual warfare. You got any thoughts on that? Yeah, a number of thoughts about that as it relates to particularly the last thing that that, that you mentioned, the idea that Christians, uh, believers can somehow be um, possessed to, to some to, to in, in one degree or, or another. Earlier, I mentioned how experientially while I was in Pentecostal circles, uh, we were impacted by, you know, spirits and demons of every kind. Uh, well, in some churches uh, that I was a part of, almost every Sunday, believers had to come to the altar to be purged. That's the, that's the word they used, to be purged of the demonic influences that impacted them during the week. Uh, while this looked different in every church, uh, the mainstay was that music was played, kind of getting you into an, an mm-hmm. emotional, emotional, yep, 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 getting you into an emotional state. And then those who needed to be quote unquote purged came forward, right? People were whipped up into a frenzy and, and in, in some places they had, they would have buckets and, and, and you could, you could, you would, uh, you would spit up into the bucket. So you would spit out the demon wow. uh, that had, po- yeah, that had possessed wow. you during, yeah, that had possessed you during the week. And this was, this is a pretty, pretty common, common theme. Over time, this would take on the, the form of, of, of even, of even trash cans. I mean, I, if you had oh, a real big man. purging service, yeah, if you had a real big purging service, you would have trash buckets full where people would spit into those buckets and, uh, and get the demons released wow. from their experience. So I've said, I've, I've in many a service uh, that 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 looked like that. This this was this was also known uh, in the in some circles as a as a deliverance service. Ah, yes. Right. So you yes. came to be de- you came to be delivered from what and, and and this was this was this was not just for non Christians, right? This was indeed in, in some instances for Christians. Uh, you would see this in places where where perhaps addiction uh, was in place a lot. Folks were dealing with uh, with with certain addictions, uh, uh, you know, uh, life altering addictions, whether it's alcohol or or drugs of some kind. Uh, they they would come and get purged. Uh, you would see these in services where people would bring their you know, they would bring their 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 needles. I've seen this happen. They would bring their needles of drugs and throw them into the trash can and be prayed over, and they would spit up, you know, into so, so the into v, the trash. V, 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 I got a question. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, bro. I got to interrupt with a question. <laughs> so, we're talking about possession, demon yes. possession. Okay, mm-hmm. possessed means possessed. Mm-hmm. Possessed means controlled. Mm-hmm. Possessed means dominated right so the question i have if they're going to call these deliverance services Mm -hmm. 
for people who are possessed. Explain to me how a person who is possessed, dominated by, controlled by a demon would want to be delivered from that. Right, right. Well, they, they, they wouldn't. I mean, just Bingo! Flat, exactly. Flat out. Exactly the point. Exactly. <laughs> Let's just start there. <laughs> they, they would. They wouldn't. They, they wouldn't. wouldn't. Exactly yeah. right. That's exactly and, and the, right. And, and and the problem theologically is what the the claim that that someone, especially a believer, is is possessed in some way, um, allows them to blame their behavior on on some entity that they have no control come over. Come on, man. Come on. Rather than recognizing that the, that the human depravity, the depravity that is in, in the human heart, has a great deal to play in the decisions that are being made. Uh, and, and again, going back, going back to your definition, and, and now, now I'm off script, but, but, I, but I just want to go back to the, the first thing that, that you said, because I, I think biblically defined, spiritual warfare biblically defined, is is incredible. It you had it. You said the Christians struggle against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. So spiritual warfare is the believers' struggle against spiritual forces uh, and wickedness in heavenly places. But this battle is not one that happens out there. It's one that happens within the human heart. Man, come on, uh, it, man. It's 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 one where we're dealing with the sinful condition of our human heart that is at war with the fl- the flesh that is at war with the spirit right the the, yes. the spirit of god in invading the human heart not allowing a demonic spirit to take to 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 reside there but then the individual who's saying i, I will no longer obey uh the sinfulness of my flesh let me turn quickly man and I, i'm i'm totally off script now but i'm that's okay bro cuz we turn pages on adjusting your podcast yeah yeah and and i'm getting ready, i'm getting ready to turn some let turn I, some, I, i'm bro. i'm 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 gonna roll, I'm gonna roll over to Romans Romans chapter eight. Give me just one second here. I got you. I'm turning I'm turning with you, bro. Let me pull up Romans chapter eight here, because this is this is what we're this is what we're talking about here. Yeah, we got it. I got it. Romans chapter eight. It says this. It, it, it and, and again a very familiar verse of scripture for the believer. This is the good news of the of the gospel that's been implanted in the heart of the individual, and and, and as a result, Romans eight chapter one says, "There's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ." For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. For God, for what God has done, the law was weakened in the flesh, uh, could not do. By the sending of his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according to the flesh, uh, who, who walk rather not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That's the work of Christ. That's the work of God through Christ in the in in the the full impact of 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 his his life death burial and resurrection now now as a result of our acknowledgement our repentance our turning from sin placing faith in Christ we now ha- have have that let's go to verse 9 where it says this you however are not in the flesh but in the spirit if in fact the spirit of god dwells in you anyone who does not have the spirit of christ does not belong to him but if but if christ is in you Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What we're talking about now is, 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 a, is a war that is taking place. Now that the spirit of Christ mm-hmm. is, it resides on the inside of you, you still have this body of flesh that, that you have to deal with. Verse 12 says it this way. So then, brothers, 
We are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, but if by the spirit you put to death, there it is. There it is. You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery back to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You, you want a you picture of what spiritual warfare looks like? I just walked you through what that looks like yep. in Romans in Romans chapter 8. Spend your time meditating on verses 12 through 14. And V, can I go back, can I, can I go back to Romans 8, 1 real quick? Do it, do it. See, Romans 8, 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, uh, look, I got to be honest here. There's a lot of professing Christians out there listening to me right now who use that verse, Romans 8, 1, is what I call a loophole verse. They see that, that, that the verse says there's no, no condemnation, so they still walk in their sin as if God doesn't care. That's good. That's a loop, loophole verse. We got a lot of loophole good. Christians out there. Good, good. Looking for, lo- looking for loopholes to continue in their sin. See, I call those people gracists. <laughs> gracists, G-R-A-C-E-I-S-T-S. They're mm-hmm. gracists out there practicing gracism. Mm-mm. They're taking advantage of God's <laughs> grace through loophole texts like this one, which right. they, which in their hermeneutic they interpret to mean that they can just go out and live any kind of way they want because because of God's grace. Well, I want to connect Romans eight one to to Galatians five one. Galatians five one, Paul says it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and. Do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Right. The inference there is do not be subjected again to a yoke of slavery to sin. To sin. It's, it's, it's the same as what Jesus told the woman who was caught in adultery. Mm-hmm. You go and sin no more. Right. As a way of life, as a habit. Okay. So. I love what you walked us through there in Romans 8, bro. Perfect picture absolutely. of what spiritual it's, warfare is. Absolutely. It, it's exactly what, it, it, and, and it, it's got to be covered by what you just said. You have to start at 8-1. And, right. and, and you have to recognize that the vast majority of, quote, unquote, believers in Christ nowadays are, are not at war with the flesh. Mm-hmm. They're, abs- mm-hmm. they're, they're absolutely no. not at war with the no. flesh. Their, their thought process is, hey, I've got the grace. I'm gonna, uh, uh, mm-hmm. Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls that what? Cheap grace. Cheap, Cheap grace. grace. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, it's the idea that, hey, it costs me nothing. I, I guess I don't, there's no payment or penalty on my mm-hmm. end. Your justification is paid for by Christ. But there's a work. If, 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 the, if, the, if the act of salvation has indeed germinated in, in the heart of the believer, he is going to want to go to war, do battle, engage in spiritual warfare against his or her flesh. And see, v, v, listen, let me get real again, man. I'm sorry, bro, because listen, if y'all want to come at me, come at me. <laughs> but see, what you just said, man, it's like we got a bunch of people out there professing Christians who don't, they don't want to do battle against the flesh. Right. They don't want to battle. They don't want to engage in that warfare against the flesh. This is why you have evangelical leaders in, in uh, evangelical churches today who are trying to make all the room they can LGBT practicing LGBTQ people 
because they don't want to call those people to repent and do battle against their flesh. Instead, they want to accommodate it under the guise of gracism, of gracism. Right, right. Well, God's God's grace, God's God's grace is so broad, it's so wide, it's so high, it's so deep that He just Mm -hmm. accepts you as you are. Yep, yep. Come as you, just come as you. What what do we see? What do we see on the uh, on the uh, uh, the signposts of, of of many, especially mainline churches today? You see a constant message on their marquees, on the front of their buildings. What do they say? All are welcome. Right. All are welcome. See, we know what they mean by that. We know what they mean by that. They mean all your your uh, behavioral predilections, what the Bible calls sinful. We don't call that sin here. So come on in. You won't be challenged. You won't be convicted. You won't be called to repent. You won't be called to confess your sin. You you won't re- be be called to do any of that because of we're gracious here. We're all gracious here. We've yeah, all yeah. we've all sinned. We're not we're not judging you. We're not condemning you. We've all sinned. So they totally distort hermeneutically what Paul is talking about there in Romans eight one, and therefore they treat it like a loophole. Go ahead, man. Absolutely, absolutely. No, that's absolutely right. So, so we've got we got a, a, a loophole Christianity, who are not engaged in any kind of battle uh, whatsoever, aren't engaged in the spiritual battle necessary uh, to, to to overcome in this life, and so they, they 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 fall back. They're they're not engaged, and as a result of them not being engaged. Uh, as a result of them engaging in in, in habitual sinful uh, behavior, they are more inclined to welcome others who are engaged in in similar or dissimilar uh, 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 acts of of habitual sinfulness, right? Mm-hmm, because right. If, if 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 they condemn the others, well, then they have to indeed condemn Bingo. themselves again. Exactly. While 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 all, all all are welcome to attend the church, no one should feel comfortable. No no one should feel. Let me say it this way: no one should feel comfortable. In their sinful condition, if that's if that if you're at a place where you're made to feel comfortable in your sinful condition, I would argue you're probably not at a church. I, I, I would argue you're. I would argue you're probably not at a Bro. church, right? You, yeah. you, you're not. There's no, listen, listen. I, I come to Praise Mill, P R A Y apostrophe S, and I say that on purpose because people think it's Praise P R A I S E. I come to Praise Mill Baptist Church every single service. Hey, 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 hold, hold on, V. Matter of fact, if y'all were to change the, the spelling to P R A I S E, y'all get more black people there <laughs> for a ser- for a service for a ser- for, for a one service <laughs> for, first Sunday first Sunday because you know first the black Sunday. church we count we count Sunday so for, for ch- change change the name to P R A I S E just right. for first Sunday, bro. You'll pack it out, pack it out, pack it out, <laughs> pack it out, right? So every listen every listen every single service bro every service as I hear the word of God and apply that word to my life I am forced to look into the mirror of God's word and to examine my wretched life Yes and there, what there, what do we always say V what do we always say on the Justin podcast that the Bible is both a mirror and a window but it is first a mirror, then a window. Absolutely. It's Absolutely. first a mirror to see yourself. It's first Absolutely. a mirror to see yourself. Then it's a window to see everything else. 
Absolutely. And see, folks, folks, don't, folks want to go to church for a show. So, so they they don't they don't want to go to church for for to deal with their sin. Like every Sunday, bro, every Lord's Day, every 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 time I'm here, I'm forced to look at and examine my heart, my life, and 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 to repent of of the sinful condition that is that is still resides in the heart. But what 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 are we engaged in at that point? We are engaged in spiritual warfare. Warfare, indeed. Indeed. We are engaged in spiritual war. Let me get let me get back to to to, to know. So I was talking about the about the purging service, about the delivering services, yeah. and, and and the like. Uh, people need to be in in those services. They seem to pick up demons during the week. Like you would you Sunday you'd be purged. Well, Monday through Friday you go pick up all these demons, and then you come back on Sunday and need to be purged again. You know, I I remember uh, my time when I lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Tulsa is just the just the mecca of care of, of charismaticism. It really is. You had Oral Roberts, you had Kenneth Hagin, uh, and then the and then the former former pastor of, of my my old church, Carlton Pearson, there in Tulsa. Uh, I was there during the days of where men like Rodney Howard Brown, mm-hmm. he 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 was one of those guys who had what was known as he was known rather as the Holy Ghost bartender, the Holy Ghost bartender. <laughs> what? This is some crazy stuff, bro. He, but he, see, this, he, this is this is why I wanted you to go into this, man. Yeah, go go ahead and do it. I'm so glad you're going into this, man. Seriously, <laughs> he was he was you know he would he was basically a, an, an incredible uh, hypnotist. Uh, he would hypnotize a crowd uh, into acting as if they were drunk. And some people have seen the the famous Kenneth Hagen video where for nearly 45 minutes to an hour, people are laughing hysterically, barking like dogs and falling on the floor. And in fact, uh, 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 I know Phil Johnson has one of these videos on his uh, on his YouTube page. And this thing has been has floated around for years now, while I was not I, I did not sit in that particular service when that when that was happening. I've sat in many services like that in that same space where that kind of thing was pretty, pretty commonplace. Uh, People literally, bro, showed up for the purpose of seeing uh, seeing the show, like what was going to happen next, who was going to do something funny or so you kind of prepared yourself and they played enough music for about an hour and got you into a framework for that to take place. Uh, we, we, you know, we were encouraged in those instances to get quote unquote drunk on the wine of the Holy ghost. Um, and, and for them, this was their, their, this was their form of spiritual warfare. Now, as the new apostolic reformation began to gain steam, it moved from pur- being purged of demons. Uh, it moved into Holy ghost bartending. And then the new apostolic reformation brought in the idea of, of the quote unquote soaking in the presence of God. So mm-hmm. you would soak, Mm-hmm. In the presence of God. Mm-hmm. Now, now, what followed that was they had twenty-four hour prayer rooms where people would quote unquote soak in the presence of God, whatever was meant by that. It, it resembled primarily some drug-induced kind of mystical expression that allowed people to act, you know, act in all kinds of strange and bizarre ways. Uh, while I, I never really got into that type of expression, I was connected to I was connected then uh, to many people and I'm still connected to many people who are a part of, of that movement. But but again, at the top, you, you just kind of wanted me to kind of touch touch on some of the uh, some of the kind of eclectic ecclesiastical expressions of of of, of kind of I, I call it charismaticism on steroids. I mean, yeah. it's just hyper <clears throat> hyper charismaticism. But here's a crazy part about that. Unfortunately, now I can't call that hyper charismaticism anymore. That is unfortunately the mainstay of what we see in the predominance of charismatic circles. Yes, yeah, so it's going main. It's going mainline now. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, that that's what that's what I've got for that. 
See, the only question I have right now, V, is what what's wrong with just going back to the Bible and testing what you're seeing against what Scripture says? Yeah, I just I yeah. just don't get it. I don't get now, it. You, you, you should, but when when you when when you're a part of circles that have have taken extra biblical approaches to the understanding of even even the very text of scriptures, the scriptures now muddied. I mean, you you you're talking about people who will go and say, you know, they were caught up in in the third heaven. God gave them a word of some kind, and then they show up on Sunday morning and and leap off of a text that that has nothing to do with with the subject matter in its proper context, but is is a is maybe they found a word word that they right. wanted to use and, yeah. and, and then they're, they 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 ramble on for an hour about these you know extraterrestrial expressions uh extra biblical experiences that that have nothing to do uh with with the sufficiency of God's word uh to really transform the heart of the believer that, that's kind of where I'm going when you talk about how they they'll just pick out one word they find one word and then they'll sort of you know springboard off of that word and just create an entire uh, erroneous heretical hermeneutic around it. I'm, I, I'm I'm going back to Romans eight one again. That's exactly what I'm talking about. So you'll get loophole Christians who will take those two words, no condemnation, okay, and just totally distort that into and, and make it sort of an open door, a turnstile to remain in their sin. But see, understand this. See, this is why exposition and exegesis when it comes to Bible study is so important. No condemnation doesn't mean no judgment. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure our listeners hear that. No condemnation doesn't mean no judgment. In other words, it doesn't mean you'll lose your salvation, but it does mean that you will be judged for your disobedience, for your willful, unrepentant disobedience. So although there is no condemnation, that does not mean there is no judgment. Go to First Peter 4 if you're, uh, confused about that, uh, but you know, so 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 I, I appreciate you going there, Verge. I think that really exposes a lot of our listeners to a dynamic that's happening in certain aspects of the evangelical church that they may have not been aware of at all. And what you're mm. talking about, that's happening every Sunday. Yes, yes. Turn absolutely. on absolutely. Turn, turn absolutely on T. Is. Turn on TBN for thirty minutes. <laughs> yep. Now, we've, we've been endeavoring to this point on this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast to establish a biblically orthodox definition of spiritual warfare, and we've grounded that definition in Ephesians 6.12, namely, that spiritual warfare can be defined as the struggle of believers in Christ against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's Ephesians 6.12. Now, having established that definition, I want to move on to point number two of my two-point outline. So the first point was spiritual warfare defined. We've done that. We've defined spiritual warfare out of Ephesians 6.12. And now we want to move on to point two of that outline, which is spiritual warfare engaged. Spiritual warfare engaged. So now let's go on to point two, spiritual warfare engaged. Now to begin, I want to remind our listeners yet again of our death, because here, I don't want anyone listening to this to, to, be, to be able to come to us and say, well, you guys distorted or you guys uh, misinterpreted uh, or you misstated anything in terms of what our definition of spiritual warfare is. I have repeatedly said that our definition of spiritual warfare and our focus is Ephesians 6.12 and the word struggle 
that we talk about is that is taken directly from that verse in Ephesians 6, 12. That word struggle is the Greek noun pale. It's pronounced pale. It's spelled P-A-L-E, but it's pronounced pale. That's what the word struggle translates to in the Greek. And translated, that word struggle means to wrestle, to fight, to contend with or against something. Okay? So to struggle is to wrestle, to fight, to contend with or against something. And by the way, Ephesians 6.12 is the only verse in the entire New Testament where that Greek noun pale appears, where that Greek noun for struggle appears. It is that same struggle, the struggle between the Spirit of God and our remaining sinful flesh that the Apostle Paul addresses in Galatians 5, verses 16 and 17. And as I read that verse, I want you to listen closely for the language of warfare that Paul uses. Paul says in Galatians 5, verses 16 and 17, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit. See, that word against, that's warfare language. And the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition. There's more warfare language right there. These are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. And as I reflect on that passage, Omaha occurs to me that the idea of spiritual warfare is really not a complicated one to understand. It really isn't. It's spelled out very clearly there in Galatians 5.17. Spiritual warfare is the desire of the flesh against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. It's fairly simple to understand, really. There's no need to overcomplicate this or over-spiritualize this beyond what we read in Galatians 5.17. And yet, as we consider further the relationship to what Paul says in Galatians 5.16 and 17 to spiritual warfare, it's important to note the phrase, the flesh, in Galatians 5.16, that that phrase, the flesh, refers not only to our physical bodies, but includes our mind, our will, and our emotions all of which are subject to sin, okay? As the 17th century Puritan Thomas Watson writes in his book, Heaven Taken by Storm, quote, there is always something within us that needs mortifying. As flesh is taken physically for the bodily constitution, it is to be cherished. But as flesh is taken theologically for the impure lustings of the flesh, a man must hate his own flesh. The apostle says, fleshly lusts war against the soul. That's 1 Peter 2.11. If the flesh wars against us, there is good reason we should war against the flesh. What can one do to offer violence to himself in mortifying the flesh? Withdraw the fuel that may, let, that may make lust burn. See, let me pause here in what Thomas uh, Watson is saying. Where we are right now in this quote from Watson, again, just harkens me back to what I said, the question I asked earlier to our listeners. Are you really fighting this battle? Are you fighting this war at all? Is it even a battle in your life? Or are you basically just acquiescing, giving in, consenting to uh, the, 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 the lusts, the temptations, the, uh, the, uh, the propositions that this world 
uh, is uh, presenting to you? Are you just giving in to all of it? You're not fighting at all. So it's not even a battle for you. So when Watson says this, he asks, what can one do to offer violence to himself and mortifying the flesh? Are you attempting to mortify the flesh, listener? Are you attempting to, as, as Watson said here, hate your own flesh in a spiritual sense, in, in a theological sense, in the sense of the impure lustings that your flesh continually presents to you? Are you mortifying that? Do you have any desire to at all? Watson asks and then answers the question, what can one do to offer violence to himself and mortifying the flesh? Withdraw the fuel that may make lust burn, he says. Avoid all temptations. Take heed of that which nourishes sin. In other words, if you know there are things or even people in your life that make lust burn, as Watson describes it, you need to do whatever you need to do to remove those things and people from your life. He says, avoid all temptations. Take heed of that which nourishes your sin. If there's anything in your life, listener, that is nourishing your sin, you need to get rid of it. That might be an app on your phone. I'm not, I'm not going to get any more specific than that. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You may need to remove an app on your, on your phone, or you may need to get rid of your phone altogether. You may, you may need to delete, not just uh, take a break from, you may need to delete all of your social media accounts. If those things are nourishing sin within you, you need to take drastic, bold steps to mortify your flesh by removing those things from your life. So Watson says, take heed of that which nourishes sin, they who pray that they may not be led into temptation must not lead themselves into temptation, Watson says. And he closes with this, fight against fleshly lusts with spiritual weapons, unquote. Again, that was Thomas Watson from his book, Heaven Taken by Storm. So make no mistake, it is our flesh, and you alluded to this earlier, Omaha, it is our flesh that serves as the battlefield upon which spiritual warfare takes place. And it is our sin operating in and through our flesh, which is to say operating in and through our mind, our will and our emotions by which that warfare is declared upon us. That's first Thessalonians four verses three through five. Reminds me of something that former pastor of mine once said, Omaha, he said the battlefield, the battlefield of Satan is the mind. The battlefield of Satan is the mind. That is so true. The 17th century Puritan Thomas Brooks put it this way in his book, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. Thomas Brooks in that book said this, quote, Sin so bewitches the soul that it makes the soul call evil good and good evil. Bitter, sweet, and sweet, bitter, light, darkness, and darkness, light. And a soul thus bewitched with sin will stand it out to the death, even at the sword's point with God. 
Let God strike and wound and cut to the very bone. Yet the bewitched soul cares not, fears not, but will still hold on in a curse, in a course rather of wickedness. As you may see in Pharaoh, Balaam, and Judas. Tell the bewitched soul that sin is a viper that will certainly kill when it is not killed. That sin often kills secretly, insensibly, eternally, yet the bewitched soul cannot nor will not cease from sin. Unquote. That was Thomas Brooks in Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. He says a bewitched soul that lives for sin, even though you warn them that sin often kills secretly, insensibly, eternally, yet that person cannot nor will not cease from sin. So that's behind my asking the question, are you even fighting, professed believer? Is there any semblance of war? What evidence do you have in your life that there is warfare going on? You see, the reason those words from Thomas Brooks are germane to our discussion about spiritual warfare, Omaha, is that they help us understand from a truly biblical perspective what is involved in spiritual warfare and what is not. My point in quoting Brooks is that what is often omitted in many of our discussions and conversations about spiritual warfare is the role our own sin plays in it. 16th century Puritan John Bradford put it this way, saying, quote, While we live here, there is a fight, a strife in us, which are the elect and children of God, the flesh, the outward man, the body, the old man, striving against the spirit, the inward man, the new man, and the new creature. That is, so much as we are regenerate and endued with God's spirit, we do strive and fight against all the powers of our souls and bodies, retaining the natural and corrupt affections we have in us and shall have so long as we live to bring them as much as may be into obedience to the spirit and the least to bridle them that they bear not dominion or rule in us. So what Bradford is saying there is, is that as believers, so long as we're in this world, we are to fight against, as he said, all the powers of our souls and bodies so that they do not bear dominion or rule over us. You see, the truth is the vast majority of what many professing Christians would categorize as, quote, spiritual warfare, unquote, is simply reaping the consequences of their own sin. Yes. That's really what that is. That is. They'll call it spiritual warfare, but what in reality, they're calling it, in reality, it's just them reaping the consequences of their own sin. See, we yes. call it warfare, Omaha, because we want to absolve ourselves of the responsibility and accountability of having to face the consequences of our willing disobedience and rebellion against God, which rightly brings, which he rightly brings upon us in his loving discipline and chastisement. That's Hebrews 12, verses 7 through 9. But we'll call it warfare because we want that loophole. We don't want to bear the responsibility and accountability of our own disobedience. So we'll call the consequences warfare. Listen, it's like LL, like LL Cool J said, don't call it a comeback. See, <laughs> don't call it spiritual warfare 
when in reality, you're just experiencing the fruits of your own willful disobedience to God. Yes. That's First Peter 4, verses 15 through 18. So don't call it spiritual warfare when you're just reaping and sowing. That's really all that is. Mm-hmm. See, the 18th century Puritan evangelist George Whitfield put it this way. He said, quote, we love what we should hate and hate what we should love. We fear what we should hope for and hope for what we should fear. Nay, to such an ungovernable height do our affections sometimes rise that though our judgments are convinced to the contrary, yet we will gratify our passions, though it be at the expense of our present and eternal welfare. Unquote. Wow. You see, Omaha, we're so quick to default to some kind of hyper-spiritualized notion of spiritual warfare that usually involves adopting myths and fairy tales about the devil, demons, and ghosts, and goblins, and all manner of superstitious nonsense, when the reality is that the real warfare is within us and is precipitated by our own disobedience to God. Mm-hmm. Yes, Satan and his dominions, and his demons rather, do have a role to play in spiritual warfare. I'm not denying that at all. But the question is, what role biblically does Satan and his demonic forces play in our spiritual warfare? What does scripture say about that? And how are we to rightly interpret what scripture says about the heavenly forces and influences that are sometimes involved in spiritual warfare? A good friend, Pastor Jim Osman of Kootenai Community Church in Kootenai, Idaho, answers those questions in his excellent book. This book is incredible. His excellent book titled Truth or Territory, subtitled A Biblical Guide to Spiritual Warfare. Jim Osman is the author. Jim, last name is spelled O-S-M-A-N. Jim Mm -hmm. is the pastor of Kootenai Community Church in Kootenai, Idaho. And in his- Let's let's spell Kootenai for him, because yeah, that, that would yeah. be, yeah, it's it's K-O-O-T-E-N-A-I, Kootenai Community Church there in Kootenai, Idaho. We love that, brother. We love Jim. Jim, his book, again, the title is Truth or Territory, subtitled A Biblical Guide to Spiritual Warfare, is the best resource, and I'm not exaggerating, outside of the Bible itself. Jim Osman's book, Truth or Territory, A Biblical Guide to Spiritual Warfare, is the best biblical resource you're going to find anywhere on this topic of spiritual warfare. And in his book, Jim Osman says this, quote, Scripture says that the one who trusts in Jesus Christ for salvation has been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and set free from him who had the power of death namely the devil. That's Colossians 1.13 and Hebrews 2, verses 14 through 18. The child of God has been adopted into the family of God and is indwelt by the spirit of the living God. The gospel has justified him freely, fully, and forever. To suggest that anything more is necessary apart from the gospel is an affront to the sufficiency of the work of Christ on the cross. Christians are unwittingly adopting a pagan, mystical, voodoo magic type worldview in the area of spiritual warfare. They are being encouraged to constantly fear the power, curses, influence, presence, and claims of Satan over them, their possessions, and their family. 
without the uttering of incantations, formulaic prayers, and constant renunciations, they can never hope to be free, resulting in bondage to a patently unbiblical worldview and theology of angels and demons. Unquote. Man, that was powerful. Again, I strongly encourage you listeners to go out to Amazon.com, get a copy of Pastor Jim Oshman's book today. Do this today. Again, the book is titled Truth or Territory, A Biblical Guide to Spiritual Warfare. It is absolutely the best book on spiritual warfare that I or Virgil could recommend to you. Virgil, what thoughts do you have, man? Yeah, absolutely. I, I I concur with you on the on on Jim Osmond's book. Fantastic book. He gave me a copy of it when I was with you uh, there uh, uh, out out at Shepcon. Which, by the way, I, and this is an aside. I, I need to mention this. I'm going to encourage because I know you won't. I'm going to encourage all of our listeners to go and listen to my brother do his thing on the platform at Grace Community Church during ShepCon. He had a breakout session that was absolutely outstanding. And so as the as the video pieces of that come out, I'm going to you, you, you don't yeah, want to miss out it. Now. Yeah, yeah, you don't you don't want to miss it. It's a uh, awesome awesome t- t- tell the tell the title of that of that uh, of, of your talk on that one. <clears throat> yeah, so the title of my breakout session was uh, was one that uh, John MacArthur personally assigned to me. It was titled The Spiritual Deception of Wokeness. Subtitled mm-hmm. A Post Mortem on the Effects of Wokeness in the Church. So that mm-hmm. was a breakout session that I gave on Friday, March 10th at ShepCon. And it was uh, ab- an absolute honor and privilege to uh, be up there in front of that esteem, in that esteemed uh, pulpit to deliver that message. The, uh, the audio of that message is available now on the Grace Church website, gracechurch.org. You can go out there again. The title is The Spiritual Deception of Wokeness. Mm-hmm. A post mortem on the effects of wokeness in the church. Yep, yep. I meant to mention that at the top, and and I just I couldn't 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 go through the the episode without mentioning that to our listeners. I'm going to encourage you to go check that out. It was just a phenomenal job. I was incredibly proud to be there. Had a front row seat to the whole thing, and and for for Daryl and me just to know where our journey came from, as we've kind of alluded to during the course of this uh, of, of this episode. Uh, to see him in, in that very esteemed pulpit doing what he does and uh, in the God-honoring way that he did was an absolute joy for me. Uh, it's it's one of those things, I, I, and I hope people, know, I think people know this about you and me. We are champions for each other. Like I'm more yes. excited. I'm more excited for that brother to have that kind of an opportunity than I would be even for myself and, and vice versa. When he sees me in places, I, this brother is sending me messages, you know, preach the word, do your thing, you know, always encouraging me in the spaces and places that I'm in. So I, I, I say that just to pause and, and on, on an aside for folks to go uh, be sure to check that out. As it relates to our brother, Jim Osmond, I think his book is absolutely phenomenal uh, and it's helpful. And it, what it's what it's helpful to do is exactly what you did in this section of your commentary. And, and that is this, what we've done is we've taken, if, if you've noticed, if you've watched the, 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 the kind of direction that we've gone, we have taken this, this kind of es- uh, esoteric, uh, out there, uh, uh, mystical, uh, just spiritual, hyper-spiritualized idea of spiritual warfare and really not invalidated uh, the aspects of, of Satan, uh, of, of, of the demonic, yep. 
uh, and its impact. But what we've done is we've attached we've attached it to what's going on in the human heart. So we've personalized yes, it. Yes. Yes. What 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 we find happening in in far too many not only Pentecostal circles, but also charismatic and 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 primarily evangelical circles. I'll even broaden it to say evangelical circles. Is we've seen the opposite take place. What we've what we've witnessed is rather than personalizing the issue, saying here are issues of the human heart, and yes, the the demonic is a part of enticing, drawing you. But at the end of the day, you're 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 in battle as it pertains to your own human heart. What we've said is no, you're you're not in battle. Some some spiritual demon. Mm-hmm. If you could unleash mm-hmm. the angels of heaven, mm-hmm. uh, if, if you on your behalf, then they'll go fight the demons of hell on your behalf, and then somehow you won't be personally attacked. And that is that is the farthest thing from the truth and as especially and specifically as it relates to this doctrine not only did 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 we walk you through that biblically but but uh, uh jim osmond's book will help you to understand that as well uh i'll say this from a standpoint of my prepared kind of commentary and notes we are we need to understand and it's a point that you made early on daryl that every christian not not the hyper spiritual Christians, not the not just the the leaders of the church or 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 high end officials in the church, but every Christian is engaged in a spiritual battle. Yes, every yes. Christian is is engaged in spiritual warfare, and and we have a tendency because of the nature of how this doctrine has been set up to believe that a spiritual battle or spiritual warfare. Is, is somehow different than physical warfare, right? And, 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 and in some respects, there is a difference. But what we would, be, what we would miss is the idea that, that simply because something is a spiritual battle, that it is not something that is serious, that it is not something that impacts us personally, that it is not something that can bring literal death to our flesh. It yes. absolutely yes. can. Very good point. It, abs- it absolutely can. Uh, think about Ephesians chapter 2, the passage there, uh, verses 1 through 3, uh, give us our spiritual condition before regeneration when it says, and you were dead and trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Uh, This was our condition. Uh, the, the spiritual battle is indeed no less important. This was, this was, we, we were dead. We were on the battlefield. We were dead. Yes. And, and, and it wasn't, and it wasn't until God regenerates us, that brings us from death to life, our, 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 our awakenness, right? Our, 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 our regeneration, going from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, being now able to hear clearly the message of the gospel, and he's now placed you on the battlefield. Here's, here's, a, here's, a, here's a, a song that we sing uh, in, in, the, in the quote unquote black church uh, that, that I agree with. You know, I, 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 my mind is made up. I'm on the battlefield of the Lord, right? I, I'm, I'm going to walk right, talk right. I'm on the battlefield, right? I'm going to live right, pray right. I'm on the battlefield. There's, there's, an, there's an aspect of that. Yeah, yeah. Until, real. Until, you, until you walk out the door. Right. <laughs> see, see, see uh, hey, listen. 
don't, I don't mean to be sarcastic here, but see, I, but see, I've sang those songs. I've sang. No, that I'm song. with you. You and me both. You and me both. It, it, it's, yeah. it's, it's one thing to sing that song when you're on a pew. Yes, but, come but see, on, when, man. When you walk out the door, see, when you walk, I, I mean, the moment you walk out the door. Yes. <laughs> you go. You go. Walk. Get... You go. Walk right. Talk right. Uh, yeah. Act, act right. When you, when you walk out that door. Right, right, right. Get get back in the car, close the door, start hollering at the kids, light up the cigarette, and grab you a beer. <laughs> <laughs> right, and then and then things are gonna go downhill real fast. Right, right. I mean, I mean, so- <laughs> come on, man. Come on. I mean, let's let's keep this real. I remember V. Matter of fact, bro, I can hear that song in my head right now. I know, I know, I know. You gonna walk right, talk right, act right. I mean, live right, pray right, live right, right pray I'm on right. the battlefield. Yep, yep. But see, yep. that's 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 that that's that Arminianism that's being reflected in the. In, I won't call it the hymnody because in the black church they don't generally sing hymns. But no. you're seeing that you're seeing the soteriology evidence in yes. the words of the songs that they sing. Yes. In those in those yes. spaces, I'm gonna yes. walk right, talk right, act right, live right. You're gonna do everything right. See, you have you working. See, that's that's right. that's work. <laughs> That's work, right. and, that, and that kind of work right there will lead you to depression. Absolutely, that will lead you to, well, to a point of depression. Well, yeah, that's that's why you got to come back next week and get get the demons purged out of you, right? Spit spit in the spit in the trash can, right? <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> bro, <laughs> man, that's I that's mean. that's. That's that's what was going on. That's what was going. On. Let me go back to something you said earlier, and I'll, I'll turn things back over to you as you personalized this battle yeah as you personalize the spiritual warfare that we're in how, what is this and I, and I wrote in my note what does this look like for the day-to-day believer and you hinted to it I'm going to push I'm going to press into it a little bit more uh, for some of us as believers as Christians this spiritual warfare looks like taking Instagram off of your phone right yeah. mm-hmm. Be- because there are there are too many images yes. uh of 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 women who are trying to yes. to to become uh to to, to be a, a attention getters right yes. uh giving you more of their body than you are you, you, than someone who's not their husband should be looking at for you that's your spiritual warfare right uh for 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 women it's it's the idea of modesty it, it, it's the craziest thing in the world Anytime you you as a as a as a man uh, promote modesty in some regard, there's some some woman, uh, so, so many women in fact, who will jump online in social media. How dare you? You know now, now you're the you're the one with the problem. All all all, all you're yeah, doing yeah, is saying, yeah. hey, women 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 should should be modest, should dress and, modestly. And, and, and let me say this too, V, on that. You don't even need to promote modesty. Listen, I can tell you right now in real time, as we're still recording is, I can type the word modesty, just that word, on right. Twitter and tweet it. Right. All I, all I do is tweet the word modesty, and the same response would occur. Right. The same right. response would result. So you don't have to promote right. it. You don't have to offer no. an apologetic for it. Just say no. the word. Same, yes. same, same with the word submission. Same, yes. with, same thing. And, and and women women will get all in their feelings. Yep. Uh, why? Because they they love their 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 value is based upon the level of attention they're getting. In fact, for some women uh, who are in social media, you're 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 waiting for likes. Like you need likes. Like likes likes matter. Right. The number of those likes. Wait, wait, tone police alert. Tone, rear, 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 rear. 
It's a tone police siren. <laughs> yeah, for, for 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 some women, the spiritual battle is not not worrying about likes, right? Not 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 posting something for the purpose of likes. A lot of things that that I share, I'm I'm happy people like it. I'm sharing a part of my life, a facet of my life, a, a, something that I I want to remember that I did or experienced. I'm hopeful that you like it, but I I could care less if you do or don't. But but if you're that woman who doesn't feel validated until she gets a certain number of likes or or is finding herself doing unreal things or things that 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 lend itself to showing more of your flesh or more of something that's not real uh in an effort to gain and obtain likes man that's that's your spiritual warfare yeah. so these are these are these are very practical things in the life of the believer that are yes. happening that are not so out there mystical wait till you get to the church service yes, on it's, Sunday it's not morning. all that pentecostal hocus pocus it's not that no it's nope, very practical nope. day-to-day stuff. Yep, yep. And Great that's your point, spiritual man. warfare. Yep, yep. That's what I got on that, bro. Yeah, you know, so we've talked to this point, V, about what spiritual warfare is, and, and we've grounded that definition in the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6.12. We've also discussed the role Satan and his demonic spiritual forces play in spiritual warfare. That was all under section one of our outline of spiritual warfare defined, but we're moving forward now into section two, spiritual warfare engaged, and as we did with section one of our discussion, which was grounded again in Ephesians 6, 12, section two, it's going to be grounded in scripture as well. Namely, second Corinthians chapter 10, verses three and four, which again, in the non-Armenian standard Bible translation reads as follows. Second Corinthians 10, verses three and four. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war against according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. And in that passage, Paul is using very militant language. Words like war, words like weapons, words like warfare are all militant terms that clearly indicate the universal reality of spiritual conflict in the life of every Christian. We established that fact in the first section of our discussion on spiritual warfare defined. So all that remains for us are these questions. How are we, as believers in Jesus Christ, to engage in that conflict? How are we to engage in this spiritual warfare, and with what weapons are we to defend ourselves? That the Apostle Paul uses the phrase weapons of our warfare carries with it two implications for us as Christians, at least these two implications. Number one is the reality of spiritual warfare in the life of every believer. We've touched on that multiple times already. And then number two, that in Jesus Christ, believers already possess the spiritual weaponry we need to victoriously engage in that warfare. Hence, Paul's use of the term divinely powerful weapons. These are not humanly powerful, uh, temporally or earthly powerful weapons. They're divinely powerful. We simply need to know what those weapons are and how to avail ourselves of them. All right, so you've got those two realities, the reality of spiritual warfare in the life of every believer, and then the reality that in Christ we already possess the spiritual weaponry we need 
to engage in that warfare. In first, I'm sorry, in 2 Peter 1, 3, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, the apostle Peter says that God's divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And that includes our being provided with everything we need spiritually to fight and win the battle against the spiritual forces of darkness of which Paul speaks in Ephesians 6, 12. So with those words of confidence as background, those words of confidence meaning what we read, just read there in 2 Peter 1, 3, with those words of confidence as background, that God has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness, let us consider now the divinely powerful weapons that we have in Christ by which we can and must avail ourselves as we engage in spiritual warfare. Those weapons are found, interestingly, back in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 17, which is a passage where Paul urges us to put on the armor of God. This is a passage which, in my opinion, Omaha believers take far too lightly today. This is Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 17, and that passage reads, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness. First John five nineteen again. The world forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand in the evil day. And having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the, ble- the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish, extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. Now, I mentioned earlier, Omaha, that this passage in Ephesians 6, 10 through 17 is a passage of Scripture that professing Christians, including myself, I'm not excluding myself, tend to take far too lightly. And one reason I say that is because we too often forget that we, as the Apostle Paul said, are to take up the full armor of God in the strength of his might, not ours. Listen, you shouldn't even get out of bed in the morning without first asking God to strengthen you by the power of his Holy Spirit to take up the full armor of God in the strength of his might. And after giving thanks to God, After giving thanks to God for opening your physical eyes in the morning, you should immediately petition him to open your spiritual eyes so that you're able to discern and recognize the flaming arrows of the evil one, that's Ephesians 6.16, and to respond accordingly in the spirit, not in the flesh. The first piece of armor in putting on the armor of God is not the breastplate of righteousness, but the strength of God. See, the breastplate of righteousness you don't see until verse 14 of Ephesians 6. 
But the strength of God you see before that in verse 10. So the first piece of armor you put on is the strength of God, which indwells every truly regenerate believer by the imparting of the Holy Spirit in our heart from the moment we came to faith in Christ. So again, the first weapon of which we must avail ourselves in spiritual warfare is the strength of the Lord, or as Paul says, his might, that is God's might. Otherwise, the struggle in which we engage against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places is an utterly moot point and futile endeavor. It was Jesus himself who said in John 15, 5, that apart from me, you can do nothing. See, the Greek word for nothing is nothing. I like to pronounce that word. Uh, I like to parse that word out phonetically. When I read John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. I like to take nothing and phonetically break it down to where it says you can do no thing. No thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You see, nothing in John 15, 5 includes everything, meaning Mm -hmm. there is no thing that we as believers can do in and of ourselves that is in our own feeble and mercurial strength, including being victorious in the spiritual warfare we are engaged in against the schemes of the devil. No thing. You can't do anything apart from Christ. That's John 15, 5. Now, from some, for some encouragement toward that end, though, I'd like our listeners to consider these words from the 17th century Puritan theologian William Grinnell, who said this, quote, Satan, with all his wits and wiles, shall never defeat a soul armed with true grace. Instead, he who also wears this armor of God shall defeat Satan. Look into the word. You will not find a saint sifted and winnowed by this enemy who did not come off with an honorable victory. Our examples are David, Job, Peter, and Paul, who were the most tried of any upon record. And lest some should attribute their victory to the strength of their inherent grace, the glory of their victories is attributable to God, in whom the weak are as strong as the strongest. Did you hear that, listeners? Mm-hmm. Their glory, The glory of their victories is attributable to God, in whom the weak are as strong as the strongest. These are two reasons why the Christian, who seems to be so overmatched, is yet so unconquerable, unquote. That was William Grinnell who said that, the 17th century Puritan. Omaha, any thoughts from you, bro? Absolutely. I, I love this section because we, we talked about, we talked about uh, spiritual warfare defined, and now we're talking about how to engage spiritual warfare. How, how do we engage it? I mean, we, and I've, I've, during the course of our time, I've given you the personal experiences of what that, what that has looked like in specific church circles, right? You know, spitting into a trash can, uh, uh, you know, jumping up and down, being slain in the spirit, soaking. When you, when you seriously consider what scripture has to say about the subject matter, what we call spiritual warfare engaged is actually, I mean, it's folly. It's absolutely yeah, it's, folly. It's foolishness. It's foolishness. It's foolishness. 
It's absolute foolishness. I, I, I want to go back to the text that you read earlier from Corinthians where you talked about uh, in verse four was this, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. This, this, is, a, this is powerful. Uh, the, the idea that Paul is writing about is, is one that he, he recognized uh, impacted his own life. Like, like the divine power of God to destroy the stronghold of his life. His was a life that was prior to Christ meeting, meeting the, the incarnate word. He was ready to go kill Christians. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the divine power of God impacts his life to such a degree that, that it has changed his mind altogether. And now, rather than, rather than killing Christians— what we find Paul doing is Paul is now preaching Christ and him crucified. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's the power. Now, that, when you compare, <laughs> when you compare the divine power of God to destroy strongholds against the backdrop of the foolishness that I just talked about where someone's showing up at a church and spitting into a trash can. Right. You sh- you should be dumbstruck. Like th- that that should cause you to be angry at the person who preached the sermon or who told you that the way to get rid of the demons in your life was by spitting into some trash can, right? Or falling out under the power of the uh, under under the power of the spirit, being quote unquote slain in the spirit, yeah. Or or or, or some some other crazy charismatic form that 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 spiritual warfare has been couched in. We've got to abandon those ideas. And look at what Scripture has to say about these particular issues. Um, again, we have Acts chapter nine, verses one and two. Paul, while still breathing threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to everyone in the synagogues at Damascus, so if he could find anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And he went on his way. And then, after an encounter with Christ, what, he, what does he do? He, he, he stops that and is preaching Christ and him crucified so much so that the believers that were around that heard of Paul preaching this were afraid. They're like, no, nah, he's he's doing something crazy. There's no way that that he's he's been changed and transformed mm-hmm. in that way. The question is, do we truly believe that the power of the word of God can and will destroy man, the strongholds on. of our come lives? On, man. That's the question, bro. That's the question. That's, That's what it boils question. down to. Absolutely. Do you believe and, and, this? And, 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 the re, and the reality that we don't believe that is why we see so the, the proliferation of all these other crazy forms, all these other crazy manifestations of spiritual warfare engaged, rather than the things that you and I are talking about on this particular episode as it relates to knowing what the Word of God says, applying that Word to your life, uh, walking out the battle that we should be engaged in, the battle against the flesh and, and let, that let, we let me, should be engaged in, recognizing and, it has a spiritual component. And let, let me say this to you. See, what you're preaching, bro, because you're preaching. I use that word deliberately. You're preaching right now. <laughs> what, you, what you just said, is one primary reason why biblical counseling is attacked. Oh, bro. Because people don't believe. They don't believe that the gospel, that the word of God can penetrate a human mind and heart and change Mm -hmm. that person. Absolutely. They don't believe that. You're absolutely right. So the main plank upon which biblical counseling is attached is that, is attacked rather, is that scripture is not sufficient. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. We see, we see that in every way. And then you, you, you walk through Ephesians chapter six, verses 13 through 17. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in, in, in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened upon your, uh, 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 having fastened upon the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I think you're spot on when you say we overlook that, that scripture is so familiar to us right. that we often don't give it the, the, the considerable thought that Paul, that that God Himself, and, and through 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 the through the pen of Paul, desires for us to take on. Uh, we, we're not all of those elements: prayer, the message of the gospel, the breastplate plate of righteousness, readiness of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith. Those things are not even that. That is not even what we talk about when we see these modern day manifestations of quote unquote spiritual warfare. It's not right. even what we talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we talk about it in a whole different light in the manner mm-hmm. in which we we started off this episode with our hope would be through our time and and we've taken a, a, a tremendous amount of time not only in study and preparation but even in the, in the delivery of this particular episode that people would be edified would be benefited and would have a clearer biblical understanding of what it means to be engaged in spiritual warfare we define spiritual warfare we're not talking about engaging in spiritual warfare, and we're hoping that you're edified as a result. Back to you, brother. Yeah, thanks for that section, Omar. That was deep, man. Really appreciate that, bro. Uh, I just want to say it, it should go without saying that there are any number of ways that spiritual warfare can manifest itself in a believer's life. You touched on that earlier, and I like how you personalized it earlier, V, when we were talking about, well, for one person, it may be to get rid of an app on a phone. For another person, it may be to you know, close out all their social media accounts for another person. It may be something else, but so, so there are any number of ways. There is no cookie cutter template by which we can apply the manifestation of spiritual warfare to every believer because it manifests itself in different ways. No two Christians experience exactly the same kinds of situations and circumstances when it comes to spiritual warfare. But regardless of how that warfare presents itself in a believer's life, two things are constant for every believer when it comes to this. Number one, that warfare involves an opponent. Warfare involves an opponent. That's 1 Peter 5, 8. And then number two, the goal of that opponent is your defeat. The goal of that opponent is your defeat. That's 2 Corinthians 11.3. Those two variables are constant in the life of every believer in Christ on the face of this earth when it comes to spiritual warfare. Warfare involves an opponent. You have an enemy, believer. You have an enemy. And then number two, the goal of that enemy is your defeat. And you know what that defeat looks like. You know. Those variables are one of two constants in the life of every believer in Christ on the face of this earth when it comes to spiritual warfare. The other constant is that the opponent, I just alluded to this, is that the opponent of every believer is Satan. There is no other opponent that we have, other opponent that we have apart from him. 
you have an opponent believer and the goal of that opponent is your defeat. J.C. Ryle, in his book titled The True Christian, said, quote, Are you indeed Christ's sheep? Then be sure you will have many a trial, where indeed would be the value of a Savior if there were not enemies to be saved from. Yes, you will have many a trial. Satan has great wrath with all who have escaped his snares, and he will bring every engine to bear against your peace. He will start many a doubt within your mind. He will stir up many a vile and blasphemous imagination within the chambers of your heart. Many a horrid thought you once would have believed impossible to think. But still remember the words of John 10, 28. I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. Unquote. That was J.C. Ryle from his book, The True Christian. So to summarize what I've been walking our listeners through, what we've been walking our listeners through Omaha the past several minutes, we must keep the following 10 realities in mind when it comes to spiritual warfare. So this is a 10 point summary of what we've been talking about to this point. Number one, spiritual warfare is a reality for every true believer in Jesus Christ. That's Ephesians 6.12. Spiritual warfare is a reality for every believer in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 6.12. Number two, spiritual warfare by definition involves an opponent. Spiritual warfare by definition involves an opponent. That's 1 Peter 5.8. Number three, your opponent is spiritual, not temporal or carnal. That's Ephesians 6.12. Your opponent is spiritual, not temporal or carnal. Number four, the goal of your opponent is your defeat, and he is unrelenting toward that end. The goal of your opponent is your defeat, and he is unrelenting toward that end. That's Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, and Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Number five. We are to be alert to the stratagems and tactics of our opponent. We are to be alert to the stratagems and tactics of our opponent. That's 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11. 2 Corinthians 2, 11. Number six, the weapons with which we are to fight against our opponent are spiritual weapons. The weapons with which we are to fight against our opponent are spiritual weapons. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 and 4. Number seven, we are to employ our spiritual weapons in the power of the Lord and not in our own strength. We are to employ our spiritual weaponry in the power of God and not in our own strength. That's John 15, 5 and Ephesians 6, 10. Number eight, unbelief robs our spiritual weaponry of their effectiveness. Unbelief robs our spiritual weaponry of their effectiveness. That's Mark chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, and James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. Number 9, spiritual warfare will be a reality for every believer for as long as they are in this world. Spiritual warfare will be a reality for you, believer, for as long 
as you are in this world. That's Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. And then lastly, number 10, remind yourself daily that in Christ, you have overcome Satan and all his demonic schemes. Remind yourself daily, sometimes multiple times a day, that in the power of Christ, you have overcome Satan and all of his demonic schemes. That's Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 4, John 16, 33, Romans 8, 1, Romans 8, 37, 1 Corinthians 15, 57, and 58, and Philippians 4, verse 13. Now, those 10 points are crucial for believers to remember if they are to be victorious in spiritual warfare against their enemy, who is Satan, and who seeks nothing short of their spiritual defeat. Though Satan is not omnipotent, he is powerful, so powerful that we cannot possibly hope to defeat him in our strength alone. The 17th century Puritan William Spurstow, William Spurstow reminds us of that sobering truth in his book titled The Wiles of Satan, where he said this, quote, In his nature, Satan is both a spiritual and an intellectual essence, in each of which respects his advantage over man is very great. As a spirit, therefore, Satan can convey himself and his suggestions to both the understanding and the will in a more intimate and efficacious manner than any human agent possibly can. For when one man becomes a tempter to another, he uses the mediation of the outward senses to which he can apply and communicate the object. But he cannot, he cannot by any physical or natural power gain an immediate access to the internal faculties of the soul and lodged the temptation. But such is the power of this infernal angel, that though he is totally barred from all kinds of intercourse with the immediate and imminent operations of the reasonable soul, and can no more look into the thoughts and musings of the heart than a common eye can pry into the bowels of the earth, and describe those numerous conceptions with which it travels in its womb, yet he can as easily get into the fancy, that is, into the affections, which is next to that mysterious chamber of the soul, the heart, which to God alone is all light, and to every created power all darkness, as any man can enter into a room that is possessed of a key that gives him free admittance. And he can make use of all those species and signatures of things that are lodged in it, disposing and ordering them as a painter does his many colors that lie confusedly before him in their various shades to express the portraiture and image of that person whom he would delineate by them. He can both continue and reiterate the presentation of the objects which he offers to the fancy as often and as long as it pleases him. Unquote. That was William Spurstow from his book, The Wiles of Satan. Thoughts, Omaha? 
No, that that section was really really good. It's particularly, what this reminds me of is the is the, the example that you gave earlier, uh, as it relates to uh, the 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 imagery that we see where Jesus uh, and the image of Jesus is on one side and image of Satan is on the other. And there's this arm wrestling match going on. This, this, this says, no, that's not even, that's, that's not what's happening. Satan is not all powerful. He's not omnipotent. He's not omniscient. There's not this, this, you know, this access that he has to your mind and thoughts. No, but, but there there is, there's a power that he has, but it is not equivalent uh, to God's uh, power uh, altogether. The other thought that I had was as it related to the 10, 10 summary points that you, that you made as I kind of walked through those uh, and applied them to myself. And and in, in this episode in particular, uh, you kind of challenged me at the outset of, of the beginning of the commentary to kind of apply both personal example, practical theology to, to, to my, to, uh, to my commentary. Mm-hmm. I, I thought about how, how do the, how do the, how do these 10 points actually play themselves out uh, in the life of, of the believer? And, and, and in this regard, I, I thought about my own personal life. And so I, I shared this by way of a personal testimony, but, but for the hope and purpose, uh, not that anyone will a feel sorry for me or b uh, uh, you know try try to try to console me in some way shape or form because that, that's not the point of of, uh, of of what I what I want to share but but I just want to share a personal example of of how the 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 enemy strategizes in my own personal life mm-hmm. uh, to, to to impact me and by way of spiritual warfare and I, I my thought is in sharing this this is probably emblematic of what others deal with. Uh, in, in in a very similar way. For me, it's not the it's not the overt thing where someone's going to offer me you know a, a big pot of money and and I'm so caught up that that you know in, in trying to obtain money that that I that I lose my salvation in some way or or not 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 that I could but that I would do something nefarious yeah. with money or 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 sexually speaking some yeah. girl would show up at my 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 home or or in a or in a dark place and and I would do something nefarious there that would that would not I, I would see that a hundred miles coming <coughs> and and so i that that wouldn't get me caught up what does get me caught up i think a, a a temptation is or a thought process that i often deal with and wrestle with is the the battle of my of of man am i am am i worthy of what it is i i have the privilege of doing am i am i worthy of that am man, i yeah. am i am i yeah. if if everyone knew what the the real me right and yeah. maybe someone has this thought if every, if everybody knew the real me they would be like man you you're not you're not all that or you're not are you even saved or even christian man, you know come if, on, if, v. If, if, if if there's a if there's a pattern of habitual sin uh, going on in my life that I'm wrestling with or walking through and 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 I'm dealing with that and Sunday after Sunday as I mentioned uh, repenting and walking through that process I'm like man I, I ask myself the question am I really saved like or I, I walk through this battle of man I'm just tired of battling man like, come on bro like man I'm just I'm I'm tired man. of bad like this battle of the flesh man I'm just what what if I just gave into this and just walked away from it all? Like, you know, I could, you know, and, and then and then your your mind starts to play the tricks of okay, I could I could go here, I could live there, I would I would do this with my life and Man. maybe re, re restructure it or go go work in a different place or space. And so the enemy will play that 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 tape, that loop in my life, and I have to go, I'm not I'm not doing that. Like that's I, I have to resist that. You know, man, I have to on, for 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 others it may be 
you know, the question of, of salvation, I think one of our biggest episodes that we do on, a, on, a, on the Just Thinking podcast is one where people are, are just wanting to have the assurance of salvation. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, I, I'm just talking about the way that, that this spiritual warfare battle wages itself in my own personal life. And, and maybe, maybe for others, that's not, even a, that's not even a factor. But as I look at these 10 kind of realities, I need to recognize that, 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 the, that the battle that I'm engaged in is a reality for everyone, for every true believer, that this spiritual battle involves an opponent. Yeah, this is not just Virgil. This, I have a, there's, a, there's a spiritual opponent who is the devil who, who enjoys the idea of, of, of me playing around with these notions in my head that are contrary to what God's word says about me. The truth is I am unworthy. Uh, Christ is worthy. And so I'm not relying yes, on sir. my own yeah. worthiness or value to, to esteem who I am or the work that God's given me to do. Uh, he, he, he's laid those plans out ahead of time, right? Ephesians uh, chapter two, verse 10. So I, I know that the work that he's laid out for me, he's, he's planned for me in advance that I would walk therein, that, that the goal of my opponent is that I would be defeated, that I would walk away from, from everything that he's planned for me, every, every good thing, every grace from God that he has, every work of God that he has, that I would walk away from it and that I need to be alert to his strategies and tactics, I need to be aware of what's happening so that I'm not I'm not thinking, yeah, this makes sense. You know, this this the whole the whole world is telling me to to bow the knee to my own feelings and my own emotions. Maybe maybe this is maybe this is the authentic me. That's the kind of language that they're using nowadays. Yeah. Right? Your, your, your yeah. authentic self. Right. Maybe maybe I need to bow the knee to my authentic self. Maybe maybe that's what I need to do. Um, that 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 the that the that I fight against an opponent, and the weapons that I that that I wage are spiritual. That I need to not depend upon my own strength, but I need to depend upon the strength of God. That 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 those weapons that 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 He has are are mighty to tearing down strongholds. That I'm to employ those spiritual weapons in the power of the Lord and not in my own strength. That that unbelief robs my spiritual weaponry of its effectiveness. So so rather than rather than having unbelief, I need to walk in in, in the power of faith. I need to have faith not in my own strength, but in the strength of God. Uh, that at the end of the day, that the spiritual warfare as a reality for every one of us, so long as we are in the world. God said that he would leave us in the world, but we were not to be of the world. Mm -hmm. And to daily remind myself that in Christ, I've overcome Satan and all of his demonic schemes. And so those 10 ideas are ideas that I have to employ in my life on the basis of the scriptures that you referenced, so that when those temptations fill and flood my mind, I'm able to overcome them. Again, not in my own strength, uh, but in the power of the Word of God, man. Let me just uh, let me just get real personal with, with UV and then with our listeners, man. Because uh, what you just did, man, that's one of the things I love. I love about you. <clears throat> you know, I don't know how many of our listeners know, man, but our uh, our our lives, our, our background, our experiences they they actually mirror one another. Well, not mirror because uh, mirror shows the opposite, uh, but they 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 compare uh, quite, uh, uh, quite completely in a lot of ways. Um, you know, you and I both lost brothers uh, to HIV AIDS. And uh, in many ways, man, the, the Lord has used you in my life as a, as a brother, that, that, the brother that I no longer, the biological brother that I no longer have. I, I love you just like that brother that I lost. Um, 
And I say that, man, because the, the transparency that you just demonstrated <clears throat> in walking through how the enemy and how that spiritual warfare manifests itself in your life, mm. see, that encourages me to be transparent too. Yeah. You see, and I've, I've often said, like, just to give an example, I'm not, this is just an example. This is not boasting or anything, but in the context of what you just said, I'm approaching 90,000 followers on Twitter. If those 90,000 people knew what a sinner I was, every, all <laughs> right, 90,000 right, right. of them, all 90,000 right. of them would unfollow me. Right, right. All 90,000. Mm-hmm. Well, both. They would jet. They would unfollow me, block me, regret they ever knew me. If they knew, in reality, behind that profile picture. Sure. Behind that, that behind that bio. That this guy behind the Just Thinking podcast, that this guy behind the digital platforms director at Grace to You, that this guy who's behind these 90,000 followers, if they knew who he really was, Mm. that he's clinging at the feet of Jesus because he is such a wretched, miserable sinner. Yeah. That he questions himself every day. Mm Mm-hmm. That he has the same thoughts, V, that you just shared. Sure. Man, am I, am I even saved? Right, right, right. Have I, have I been acting? Have I been acting on the stage for all these years, thinking I'm saved and I'm not? But see, this is how the enemy lies. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh, man. I could spend the rest of the episode just talking about this. Mm-hmm. The battlefield of Satan is the mind. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. It's the mind. I, 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 would, I would only add this, bro. Before those 90,000 followers left you, they'd have to look at their own hearts and recognize they need to be blocked from all of their fans. And fa- Man, come on. <laughs> come on, V. You know, as, as, we, as we all examine our own lives, that, 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 should, be our, that should be our humble response to the grace and goodness of God. And I'm just begging. I'm begging all my social media followers, listen, don't ever think that I have it together. Don't ever yes. think that. Ever. Do not make that mistake that yeah. this guy, based on what you aesthetically see on the outside, from superficial or how I present, don't ever think that I'm some super Christian. I'm not walking around here with a cape on my back with a big C on it. Right. I'm not some super Christian. I'm a sinner. A redeemed sinner, yes, but a sinner nonetheless. Right. Who wonders every day, Lord, why do you even let my filthy fingers touch the pages of your word? Yeah. Yeah. Why? Mm -hmm. It's the kind intention of God's will. That's Ephesians 2. That's God's grace. It's his grace. Yes. That's yes. that's the only thing Ephesians 1 rather and 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 speaking of God's that's where I get my definition of God's grace from. I get it from Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5 where Paul mm-hmm. says according to the kind intention of his will. Mhm. Mm-hmm. According to the kind you were saved. He brought you, he adopted you 
as a child of God, as one of his children, according to the kind intention of his will. That's how, for, that's how Ephesians 1.5 reads in the NASB. So we talk a lot about God's grace, but we don't, we don't define it. I wonder how many Christians could say, well, def- what is God's grace? Could they give a definition? Right, right. Well, I get my definition of God's grace from Ephesians 1.5. God's grace is the kind intention of God's will. So when, when I say, when I use the word grace, you can replace that word with the kind intention of God's will. We were saved by the kind intention of God's will. God shows us his mercy by his kind intention. So in those moments, V, where you and I are feeling unworthy, and I, I'm so glad you said this. Yeah, the truth is I am unworthy. Yes. <laughs> you know what? Yes. So, so when someone calls me a hypocrite, so you know what? You're right. Yes. You're right. But see, my righteousness is not based on my behavior. My righteousness is not based on, uh, on, on how I behave, on my obedience. That's not what my salvation is based on. My, base, my salvation is my justification. My, my, my righteousness is the righteousness that was imparted to me. The righteousness of someone else. And we have to remind ourselves of the truth. You can't afford. Listen, if you are such that you, I love what Dr. MacArthur said. John MacArthur said once, he said, a true believers, they don't listen to themselves. They talk to themselves. That's good. True believer, you don't listen to yourself. You talk to yourself. What MacArthur was saying there, you don't listen to the lies. You don't listen to those flaming arrows. You don't listen to those thoughts that Satan puts into your mind about what a sinner you are. Yeah, he's right. Mm-hmm. You talk to yourself. You don't listen to yourself. You talk to yourself and you remind yourself of the truth of God's word. You remind yourself of a text like Romans 8.1. Because there is now no condemnation for those. And that's a conditional promise. Now remember that. That's a conditional promise. The promise applies to those who are truly in Christ. If you're outside of Christ, according to John 3.36, you're under the wrath of God right now. So don't listen to yourself, Christian. Talk to yourself. Remind yourself of the truth of God's word and you walk in that truth regardless of how you feel. Regardless of how you feel. Yes. Now, having said all that, V, I I tell you, bro, if I could give you a fist pump right now, I would uh, (laughs) for, for, for going there. I'm so glad you went there, bro. That's that's one of the reasons I love you, bro. V, I love you like a brother. Seriously, bro. I yeah, would take I would absolutely take a bullet for you, man. I really mm-hmm. would. I just I want all of our listeners, I want to say that publicly so that all of our listeners hear that. Now, praise God. As we prepare to close, as we prepare to close out this episode of the Justin, and you you gave me a great segue here, V, to go into this. As we prepare to close this episode of the Justin Podcast, I have to say that I'm personally of of the opinion that a primary evidence of spiritual warfare in the lives of many believers is in the area of doubt and unbelief. We've just been talking about, Virgil, you opened the door so wide, man, I got to walk through it. Yeah. A primary evidence of spiritual warfare in the lives of many believers is in the area of doubt and unbelief. No professing believer in Christ can ever hope 
to be victorious in spiritual warfare who does not first and foremost believe the word of God. If you don't believe the word of God, you're already defeated. Jesus said in Mark chapter nine, verse 23 B that all things are possible to him who believes that verse in Mark 923 contains a conditional promise. That is to say, it is a promise that is fulfilled by God on the basis of one or more conditions being met by you or me. Mm -hmm. That condition in the case of Mark 923 is faith in Jesus Christ and in the power of his indwelling Holy Spirit to equip and enable us to stand firm against our spiritual adversaries in the evil day. That's Ephesians 6.13. Other verses to consider with regard to the impact of doubt and unbelief on our being victorious in spiritual warfare are Hebrews 11.6. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. That's Hebrews 11.6. By the way, in his commentary on Hebrews 11.6, the Puritan William Perkins said this. He said, he that will have any fellowship with God in Christ must, must first believe that God is. Did you hear that, listener? He that will have any fellowship with God in Christ must first believe that God is. That is, not so much that there is a God, for that we are taught by the very light of nature, but that this God whom in Christ he labors to know and come near is the true and only God. By nature, so Perkins here is talking about general revelation, by nature, though we know and believe there is a God, Yet the corruption of our nature is such as we frame and feign him to ourselves to be such a one as we please. For we deny in our hearts his power, his presence, and his justice. But to take away these three from him is to deny the true God to be God indeed. Unquote. That was William Perkins in his commentary on Hebrews 11.6. And again, that verse reads, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of him, who of those rather who seek him. You know, as I look at it, at Hebrews 11, 6, verse, I'm remembering something that the late Dr. R.C. Sproul said. Uh, he said that his life didn't become difficult until he became a Christian. <laughs> right. That makes sense. That makes perfect sense in the context makes of what we're talking about, the warfare. Absolutely. That's exactly what Sproul was saying. My life didn't become a warfare until I became a Christian. I will never forget Sproul saying that. My life didn't get difficult until I, until I became a Christian. So along with Hebrews eleven six, we have James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. We're talking about doubt and unbelief here and the role that that plays as a manifestation of spiritual warfare in the believer's life. James 1, verses 6 through 8 says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, 
being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Then there's also Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 and 17. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. Some were doubtful. The word doubt is the Greek word distazo, D-I-S-T-A-Z-O, distazo, which means to waver, to waver. We see that word in Romans chapter 4, verse 20. Yet with respect to the promise of God, Abraham did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith. By the way, those verses that I just cited, those three verses, are not to be understood as endorsing word faith heresy, okay? Those verses are not to be understood as endorsing word faith heresy, having faith in our faith, but they're talking about having faith in the one who is the object of our faith, namely Jesus Christ, okay? So I want to make that clarification. Those verses there in Hebrews 11, 6, James 1, and Matthew 28, are not endorsing word faith. They're talking about having faith in the one who is the object of our faith, okay? The 20th century Baptist preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, offers us a warning against unbelief and doubt in a sermon he gave titled, The Sin of Unbelief. The Sin of Unbelief. And in that sermon, Spurgeon said this, quote, Faith encourages every virtue. Unbelief murders everyone. Yes, Thousands of prayers have been strangled in their infancy by unbelief. Unbelief has been guilty of infanticide. It has murdered many an infant prayer, many songs of praise that would have swelled the chorus of the skies have been stifled by an unbelieving murmur. Many a noble enterprise conceived in the heart has been destroyed before it could come forth by unbelief. Many men would have been a missionary, would have stood and preached their master's gospel boldly, but they were filled with unbelief. Once a giant stops believing, he then becomes a dwarf. Faith is like Samson's hair, but on the Christian. Cut it off and you may put out his eyes and he can do nothing. Unquote. That was Charles Spurgeon from his sermon, The Sin of Unbelief. Conversely, along those same lines, the 17th century Puritan Thomas Reed, that last name is spelled R-E-A-D-E, Thomas Reed said, quote, True faith is lively, operative, and fruitful. True faith works by love, that sacred spring which sets all the wheels of obedience in motion. True faith purifies the heart by uniting the soul to Jesus and drawing from him, through the Spirit, continual supplies of grace and strength to mortify sin and walk in the ways of holy obedience. True faith overcomes the world by raising the believer above its vanities and follies, by enabling him to renounce its pomps and honors, and to live as a pilgrim and stranger upon the earth. True faith realizes the invisible glories of heaven and thus becomes the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things 
not seen, unquote. Spiritual warfare is serious business with eternal implications. And if we hope to be victorious in the spiritual battles in which we engage each day, and often multiple times a day, we must believe God and his word. Otherwise, we've already lost the battle before it has even begun. I want to close with these words from J.C. Ryle from his classic book titled Holiness. J.C. Ryle said, There are thousands of men and women who go to churches and chapels every Sunday and call themselves Christians. Their names are in the baptismal register. They are reckoned Christians while they live. They are married with a Christian marriage service. They mean to be buried as Christians when they die. But you never see any fight about their religion. Of spiritual strife and exertion and conflict and self-denial and watching and warring, they know literally nothing at all. Such Christianity may satisfy man. And those who say anything against it may be thought very hard and uncharitable. But it certainly is not the Christianity of the Bible. It is not the religion which the Lord Jesus founded and his disciples preached. It is not the religion which produces real holiness. True Christianity, Ryle said, is a fight. Unquote. Closing thoughts, Omaha. Uh, awesome place to land. Because of what it does, it, it, it puts the ball back in the puts, puts the genie in the bottle, so to speak, puts the focus on where it needs to be. Yes, there are spiritual forces and uh, entities and wickedness in high places. We recognize that. We understand that. <clears throat> but that battle is a battle that we engage in uh, in, in the heavenly places that we have. We have weaponry. Uh, that has the has divine power uh, that is able to destroy strongholds, uh, and that we need to avail ourselves of the full armor of God as we as we address these struggles. But at the end of the day, this is, this is not some war out there where we're calling forth angels to do X, Y, or Z, and, and and banishing demons as they do as they attempt to do X, Y, and Z. But this is a battle uh, within within each individual uh, that that's a, a battle we uniquely wage as we fight against the, the sin that so does easily entangle us, uh, that's, that's where the battle is. And, uh, you know, I think this episode, I, I know that this episode will be helpful, not simply because of what you and I shared, but, uh, on, on a personal level, but, but based upon what scripture has to say, uh, about these matters. And, uh, you know, we, we added a, a number of things, a number of elements to this spiritual warfare defined. You laid this out beautifully, spiritual warfare engaged, we laid that out as well. We had the historical view uh, of what that is, and, and even looked at at at, uh, at church history, um, at at, uh, at at historic theology to see what Scripture has had to say about spiritual warfare and the battles. And then I, I came in and, and and put kind of a, our modern day spins uh, and expressions of those experiences and, and, and really in an effort to, to lay all of that against the backdrop of what scripture has to say. And, uh, I think you summed it up in the, in the last two quotes that you used that at the end of the day, uh, true Christianity is a fight. Uh, and that fight is the very spiritual battle that we're engaged in. And that that's what spiritual warfare looks like. It's much more personal than people want to believe. It's, it's much more specific 
than people want to believe, and uh, and it's it's something that we indeed, as a result of of of, of and I love what R.C. Sproul said, as a result of what Christ has done, our, our lives have gotten more more challenging, yep. and and that's because we absolutely do have a <coughs> have have an enemy. <coughs> Who is the devil that we fight against uh, in in this life? So no, I, th- I think that's a great place to end, man. Any any last thing you want to say before I wrap us up? Now I just want to thank our listeners again for being patient with us over these four months uh, since we last released a new new episode. Uh, we do appreciate your prayers. Y- y'all are just the best. I mean, that's all I can say. Our Just Thinking family uh, are, are just the best group of folks. Uh, they've been loyal to us. They've stood in there with us. They've been patient. They've understood that we've got other things going on in our lives uh, that sort of revolve uh, with, that, that the podcast kind of revolves around other priorities. Uh, so again, j- just know uh, that, that we put in all this work uh, to glorify God and, and to hopefully edify all of you. So we pray that the Lord will uh, use this episode, use this content uh, to help you better understand what spiritual warfare is um, and how to engage in that warfare in your own life. And our prayer is that you will, uh, uh, be victorious uh, through Christ and his power. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we pray that for all of you. So that's Amen. it for me, V. Amen. Amen. That's good stuff. Well, listen, you have endured long enough. We've got now this episode of this podcast in the in the bank. And uh, please share this far and wide with with everyone. If you're if you're connected with us on YouTube, definitely definitely want you to like and subscribe. Uh, share again the podcast far and wide give us a if, if you're on if you're on a, a apple or any other any other podcast platform give us a five-star review tell others to do the same uh, we appreciate it all of that helps our algorithms we're we're, we're doing battle against uh those who would would rather uh what we share and what we say to be muted uh, and so you you help us when you give us reviews, when you write reviews, when you when you when you like, subscribe, and then share with others. We so greatly appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on this edition of the Just Thinking Podcast. <laughs>